makes you the only world's heavyweight champion. And I'm here to take that belt. Hey, and by the way, in case you're tempted to uh, grab the remote control, check out the competition. Don't bother. It's two or three weeks old. And John Michaels beat the big guy with a super kick you couldn't earn a green belt with in a local YMCA. Stay right here. It's live. It's where the action is. Let me explain something to you. This is a personal matter between Ric Flair and myself, and we'll resolve it. I said cut that camera off. What a Hulkamania in the whole crowd. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to September of 1995 for Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 is all things WWF, Volume 3 ECW. Volume 4, we take a step away from wrestling to look at USC, a bit of mixed martial arts. But this is Volume 1, we've got a big show for you, WCW. I've been joined firstly by Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, hello. Hi, how are we doing, Bob? I'm very well, and a, a very special guest, uh, Brian Barrera of WCWWorldwide.com. Brian, good afternoon. Hey, it's uh, really awesome that you you and I be able to hook up and do this. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, I as we start with the news, I'm starting the news actually. Uh, Lex Luger showed up on the debut edition of WCW Monday Nitro less than 24 hours after working a WWF house show. Luger, who was working on a verbal agreement after his contract expired, just walked out during the Ric Flair Sting match while having a key part to play at the end of the show. After confronting Hulk Hogan, Luger faced Hogan on the second Nitro for the world title, the show that ran directly up against Monday Night Raw. Luger also found his way into the main event of full brawl, replacing Vader, who had been suspended by the company. Vader was suspended by WCW, having gotten into a fight with Paul Orndorff backstage at a TV taping at the end of August. Vader arrived late before being told by Orndorff, who was acting as a supervisor, that he was needed to tape a promo as things were running behind. Vader and Orndorff got into a verbal exchange, which soon turned to blows, with Orndorff laying out the far bigger Vader. The fight continued soon after, with Vader visibly coming off worse. He was suspended for instigating the fight. During the second edition of Nitro, the first that ran head-to-head with Monday Night Raw, Eric Bischoff gave away the result of the Raw main event during the commentary. As as Raw was to take a couple of weeks prior, the main event of Shawn Michaels defeating Sid Vicious was already well known. Bischoff said, quote, In case you're tempted to grab the remote control and check out the competition, don't bother. It's three weeks old. Shawn Michaels beat the big guy with the superkick. 
perhaps it worked. The second edition of Nitro did a 2.5 TV rating up against Raw that did a 2.2 rating. That being said, the number of people watching wrestling on Monday was far higher than any time in the year prior. WCW hosted the Fall Brawl pay-per-view this month, with the big headline probably being the hard push of the Giant. Their main event, the Giant crushed Hulk Hogan's motorcycle with a monster truck, setting up what WCW are planning to be monster truck tug-of-war at Halloween Havoc next month. But it was after the main event of the show that the Giant came to focus, attacking Hogan before snapping his head to one side, leaving Hogan in the storyline neck brace for the remainder of television. On the final Nitro September, the Giant got a big push, choke slamming all things in sight, including Lex Luger. On the Fall Brawl event itself, the Hulkamaniacs of Hogan, Savage, Sting and Lex Luger replacing Vader defeated the Dungeon of Doom in the War Games match. Arn Anderson defeated Ric Flair after help from Brian Pillman. Dine Dallas Page ended the Renegades TV title reign and Johnny Bad defeated Brian Pillman in an opening match that lasted 28 minutes. Harlem Heat did defeat Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slate for their tag team titles, but that lasted all of 24 hours after the Heat lost the titles to the new team of the American Males. One big takeaway from the first month of Nitros was WCW not being shy at taking digs at the WWF. Lex Luger referred to joining the big leagues, and the show regularly had the tagline, quote, where the big boys play. IRS Mike Rotunda debuted on the show as Michael Wall Street, saying the new generation is the few generation. The next week, his name had been changed to VK Wall Street. No prizes for guessing where that came from. And finally, WCW released Stunning Steve Austin this month, a combination, it seems, of his attitude and the price of his contract, along with a series of injuries. Also debuted on ECW television at the end of this month. Ball, ball, the war games, and the Dungeon of Doom, of course, is going to be going up against the Hulkamaniacs. Kevin Sullivan, thus far, I must say, you have really stirred things up here at World Championship Wrestling. Everything seems to be topsy-turvy, and we're just a shade over two weeks away from the war games. Gene, I told you this before. Have you ever made a deal with someone and they gave you your word or they gave their hand to shake and went back on it? I think that's probably happened. All I'm saying, Gene, since I've been here, I have loaded the deck. I've loaded it towards my side. You see, in the war games, it's eight men surrounded in two rings. Somebody's going to get hurt. Steel cage, of course, all around that ring. There's no escape. No escape, Gene. And the thing is, there's an added stipulation now, isn't there? Yes, I find it quite interesting. If indeed the Hulkamaniacs defeat the Dungeon of Doom, Hulk Hogan gets you all by himself inside that ring. Kevin Sullivan, you've got to be losing sleep. No, Mr. Hogan, nobody knows Mr. Hogan better than me. And let me tell you this. I know... The whole world knows, and you know, that if Hogan puts his hands on me physically, he will destroy me. But there's evil that lives inside of Hogan, and that's the fear Hogan has. It isn't me. The fear that Hogan has is that he really is me. You see, Mr. Oakland, he is no angel himself. There are skeletons in all of our closets. Especially yours. Oh, you don't you don't know anything about me. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't make heads or tails of it. We'll yeah. all find out at Fall Brawl, Mr. Oakland. All of us. <laughs> Got nothing on me. I've got a clean life. Thank you very much. Pass, 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 
We start WCW television with Saturday night on September the 2nd. They're billing this as the TNT Monday Nitro Celebration Weekend. We have Eric Bischoff and Steve McMichael in position at the Mall of America ahead of Nitro on the Monday, and they are joined at points in the show by Sting, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan. Hulk keeps referring to his pastor maniacs. The company are using the phrase, this is where the big boys play throughout the show. The event features almost exclusively squash matches with wins for Ric Flair, Sergeant Craig Pittman, Brian Pillman and the Harlem Heat. We get the debut of Disco Inferno also winning a squash. Dave Sullivan is sat in the crowd for the main event of Hacksaw Jim Duggan against Big Bubba. Preposterously, Duggan knocks Big Bubba in the direction of Sullivan, who is holding his pet rabbit, Ralph. Bubba seems to have an allergic reaction from the rabbit and ends up losing the match. Bubba faces Hulk Hogan in the main event of the first Nitro. And we come back in. We are not starting with full brawl that is to come we're actually going to start with a uh, review of the first edition of wcw monday nitro from september the 4th 1995 uh, we're going to treat this uh, a little bit like a pay-per-view review i mean also it's, it, it's only a 45 minute show um but we'll, we'll run through each match and kind of discuss uh, all of the different segments um wayne uh, we'll bring you in what, what did you what did you think of the first edition of nitro oh, yeah. i really enjoyed it um it set a scene it was you know, quite a bit different from Raw, which is what you want from, um, um, you want an alternative if you're, uh, if obviously if you're a WWF fan. Um, and, uh, in, in, in that sense, uh, you know, it was, it, it, it obviously, you know, different in, in that. It, come across with a you know the the live aspect of it come across really well um you know a lot of must see um the 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 format the setup the way that they are with 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 the matches um you know does make it uh, feel like it's 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 more adult like uh, per se um and um as i said you know it's it's got a lot of uh, mussy about it, which no doubt we'll probably cover through uh, through uh, talking about Nitro um, one by one. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in terms of what they set out to achieve, it was to create a big noise. I think that's that's the that's probably the best way to describe it. I mean, there's there, there's a lot of ways you could pick apart the show, and I think over the course of the next couple of hours, we probably will. Um, but I think in terms of what they set out to achieve, they wanted to, you know, they had a you know, a free Monday, essentially, if we're going to talk about going head-to-head against Raw, um, and they had a lot of eyes on on their product, that, well, some of which would have been pulled from, from the existing Raw audience, I'm sure, um, uh, and they wanted to basically create this must-see television product. Um, and, and for all the weaknesses of all the things that they perhaps did, and as I say, I think after the pay-per-view, we'll, we'll talk about Nitro as a whole in September. Um, they they ticked a lot of boxes. And, and again, when we come to discussing Lex Luger's arrival, I mean, Luger was really the icing on the cake. And I think the one thing they really wanted to say throughout this show was anything can happen. And when Lex Luger walks out and nobody knows he's coming, that sets the ball perfectly. So as much as we've got the whole thing with, with Vader that opened up the door for Luger's arrival, um, that was perfect. And, you know, it, it was a mile a minute. I mean, that's, you know, that so much happened just on this show alone. I mean, uh, my, my TV notes for this month are probably more extensive than they were for about the previous four or five months just covering WCW Saturday night. So much happened. Um, uh, uh, and we can talk about the positives and negatives of, of how that approach kind of, um, comes across as we get there. Um, I agree with you, Brian, though. I think in terms of the, the setting, I mean, I think 
what it did do one it was an incredibly memorable setting and that you don't see wrestling in anything like that really at all um and two what it what it enabled them to do was that they it enabled them to have, have not many people in the actual building but it looked ram jam full it looked like there was just people everywhere i mean you know there's the great vision of kind of the, the escalators in the mall of america and there's constantly people going up them I and mean, there must have just been people walking around while the show was going on um and that made a really good visual so well, way before we get into the show what do, what do you think of the mall of america as a setting yeah no it was um it was the fact that it would it was a lot different to, to what you used to see in uh in in, in arena um and uh in arenas, the like you said, the, the the setting when the matches were on, um, the the escalators was the, the one for myself as well that just made it stand out. Um, and like you said, it was just uh, it was it was just a packed house. It made it seem that uh, everybody was was there for that show, even though they, you know there was probably a good chunk of people that wasn't. Um, and um, yeah, as a, as a as a set as a scene setting, I, I think it uh, looked uh, looked quite good. We open the, with a factory new intro that ends with the Nitro logo being set on fire. We cut to a helico- helicopter shots of the Mall of America in a high shot of the mall. The place looks packed. Eric Bischoff is joined on commentary by Steve McMichael. They're interrupted by Bobby Heenan. McMichael has a buzzer in his hand when he shakes Heenan's hand. And the first match of WTW Monday Nitro, it's Jushin Thunder Liger against Brian Pillman. Liger does a rolling heel kick to Pillman in the corner. Liger goes for a moonsault and almost lands short of Pillman before locking in a headlock. Pillman gets some momentum with a head scissor before attempting a Hurricane Rana. The move didn't quite come off and Liger landed awkwardly. Liger sets for a surfboard stretch and cinches it in. Pillman recovers with another head scissors before being bundled to the outside. Liger gets on the apron and does another rolling heel kick. Pillman climbs to the top and hits a crossbody block to Liger on the outside. Pillman returns to the top. Liger crotches him then hits a superplex. Liger jumps from the top and Pillman hits a high angle drop kick. Liger hits a powerbomb into a pin but Pillman kicks out Liger hits a hurricane runner off the top and basically plants himself on his own head Pillman barely kicks out Liger sits Pillman on the top turnbuckle Pillman hits a swing and DDT for a two count Pillman hits a switch, rolls through into a pin and gets the three count Wayne, what do you think? I think it's what you're going to expect from from uh, TV openers. Said what we used to see in in Raws, for example, is is, is general squash matches. Um, I think this is the if this is the way that Nitro's going to be going, um, then you know I'm not going to argue against it. It's it's definitely going to get uh, it's going to get the crowd involved. It's going to get the people at home. Um, bought into uh, to, to this show and, and with it being a start that's you, you, you want to try and keep the audience with you at uh, at all costs but at, at the start is uh, is obviously going to be pinnacle um i don't think there was anything um special it was it, it, it was obviously good to to see justin uh, sorry justin liger um on there and, and not only that as well it was it's good to see uh, brian pillman you know we've not really got to to see that much of him um, in the uh, in the past, obviously he had his uh, he had his match against Alex Wright a couple of pay per views ago, uh, and then you know we've not really seen much of him since then. Um, I think it was I think it was enough to to get Majid up for for the rest of the show. But uh, if like I said with 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 the formula they're looking to do with these uh, quick uh, fast paced matches, I, th- I think it's something that's going to really take off for him. Brian, how did this work for you as an opener? I thought it was a fine opener, even if it wasn't exactly as flawless as you would have expected, you know, with Brian Pillman and then Liger. I have a couple of magazines from 93, 94, where I, that was first introduced to Brian Pillman as, you know, being 
the Fly Brian, the guy from the Cincinnati Bagels. He's a lot skinnier. He's a lot more agile. But in this match, we saw Brian hitting a couple moves, maybe not the best way that he possibly could have. And I think that had something to do with him being starting to bulk up around this time, being a little bit heavier. So some of the Hurricanes didn't exactly go off as flawless. But just to set the pace and showing that this is something that's unique to the WWF, I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree that I don't think this was the perfect match. I think both these guys look back at it and go, oof, you know, there, there are a couple of things we didn't get right there. Um, but in terms of if you can overlook kind of the, the ragged edges that were present at times during this match, you know, the moonsault fell short. There was the, the Hurricane Rana where Liger kind of landed on the, on the point of his shoulder and the top of his head, which wasn't ideal either. If you can overlook the, the, the small details of it, I thought it was a, a, a fine scene setter for what was to come. It was, entertaining it was you know when you compare it to a lot of wcw matches this is you know even for the few minutes it got i think it only went about six minutes it was a really really strong match um you know and, and it kickstarts a, a really big month for pillman and we'll come to kind of the the the, the next chapters of that as we uh, we get later on into the show and anyway, after commercial we join hulk hogan who's being mobbed by fans he's in his pasta mania restaurant at the mall of america hogan says that pasta mania will help help him beat big brother in the main event he even mentions the pasta maniacs and his hulk Roos. Brian, this is shilling at its finest. <laughs> uh, I wish that I w- had a pasta mania at my mall. Unfortunately, I guess it was just a Nordic thing. Not in Texas. You cannot find it. I really wanted to try the Hulkaroos. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It was a... It was a um, I wouldn't say it was odd. I think in the context of what went on in this show, this was by far the, the um, one of the um, less eventful things that happened during this show. But yeah, it was a uh, a strange segment. But as we came off the, um, this wasn't a one night thing. They had the uh, the Saturday night two days prior, and we had Hogan in the Mall of America, and he was talking about his past maniacs, and it, it it did stick out there. I think a little bit more. Uh, we move on to Ric Flair against Sting. Uh, during Flair's entrance, Steve McMichael teases mentioning Monday Night Raw but doesn't as Sting gets into the ring Wayne it's, it's Lex Luger yeah couldn't believe it talk about we're, wearing the like most hideous big white dress shirt I've ever seen <laughs> well yeah um, at least he's not wearing his red white and blue tights his short tights but what? yeah he's, he's, he's clear as he well at the end of the day he, he I was going to come on to uh, Ian Anderson in a minute but I could probably say the same about Luger Who, who's to say that he's not um, just picked up the latest um, clothing from from one of the one of the shops close by well yeah yeah I, I suppose although I, I, I think um, Chris Lacey who does the Super Bowl show did send me a uh, a photo of Luger from I think one of the WCW shows either in 90 or 91 and he he was wearing that shirt or a shirt very much like it in that one as well um so uh not nice theory Wayne but I think we can bust that myth for this time um Brian it was an odd presentation I would say for a presentation I love what they did with him kind of just walking out as much as you could do this in a number of different ways I thought that was really good um but he didn't present Hogan as an athlete the Hogan Luger him Brian? I, I thought it was interesting the way they had set it up because even the announcers pointed out, you know, what is he doing here? And I think it was Manga who responded, you know, this is a mall. I mean, anyone could be here. It doesn't mean anything. And he didn't jump into the match. He just watched from afar. He had no real interaction with Sting or Flair during their bout. 
And it was a huge, huge surprise. To me, he's a WWF guy. I play as Luger in the arcade game, the WrestleMania arcade game, even the Super Nintendo games. And to see him show back up at WCW, uh, I was shocked. Oh, Brian, would you have done it any differently? I mean, for for all the strength of the surprise, could they have done this any better? Eventually, it would lead to something. So just having him walk out and just have that in the middle of your show, hopefully to get audiences to change over from the WWF and to actually see that this champion, the former WWF world champion, has now jumped ship, I think that works out just fine. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I think in terms of, as I said, there, there are a number of different things you could have done this, but in terms of, as I said, I think at the top, you they wanted to create this atmosphere where anything and anything can happen. And, and the Luger thing fell into their lap. You know, I mean, Luger had been negotiating with them, but by all, by all accounts, about, you know, 10 days before the first Nitro, Luger was going to stay with the WWF. And if you, you asked the WWF, I think they'd have said two days before the first Nitro, Luger's going to stay with us. Um, but in terms of the ways you could have gone about this, I think this was a, a, a very strong introduction. I perhaps would have done it differently in terms of what he was wearing. Uh, other than that, I, I, um, I, I thought it was very effective. I mean, I suppose there was a sort of thing where he just walked out and then didn't do anything, and then I suppose he came back later, but um, I guess we'll see. Um, Sting opens up with, uh, so we've got any other notes? Uh, the announcers don't mention him by name, uh, and Luger just stands in the aisle way and then eventually just walks off. Uh, Sting opens with a big body press on Flair, then does a second. Flair chops Sting in the corner, but Sting isn't having any of it. Sting hits another power slam, then uh, press slam, sorry, then Flair takes both of them to the outside. Sting hits a bulldog, then press slams Flair from the top rope, then does another press slam. Out walks Arn Anderson. Sting goes for a big splash, but Flair moves. Flair does his flip over the turnbuckle, then hits a running, clo- then runs into a clothesline. Flair blocks a hip toss. Sting does a head scissors and rolls into a bridge, into a backslide for a two. Sting hits a big superplex from the top rope. Flair locks in the figure four. Sting tries to turn it, but Flair loses the rope for leverage. Flair refuses to let go. The ref calls for the bell, and Art Anderson gets in the ring to square up with Flair. Brian, what do you think of this? Standard Sting versus Ric Flair matchup, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. This is definitely something that they've headlined several pay-per-views with. This is one of their main event caliber matches. It's just something in the mid-card. It's definitely something set up just to show up the WWF and what they would have on their television. To see Arn Anderson, though, come out and, and stare down Flair and to see that interaction, I had missed the television leading up to this, so that was actually a bit surprising to see. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we had the the the, the Anderson and, uh, and Flair stuff kind of coming off the last clash and they're kind of building towards this... Um, building towards the pay-per-view match so i think that was it was quite logical and and they what they were kind of doing was they were building kind of a mutual respect while they were feuding in a weird kind of way you know i mean they they, they were definitely keen to fly fight but as, as we heard with some of the anderson promos last month and uh, and this it was very much a case of still look I, I need to fight him we need to have this match but i still respect the hell out of him and I, you know i think i think they both claim to love each other you know uh, uh, stages during the months so there was that as well um i, I guess it was yeah i mean uh 
it, it also, I think, tied into the story they were telling last month where we had Anderson saying to Flair, you know, you don't need to do this. You know, you don't need to resort to these dirty tactics as he did during his, the match on Saturday night in August. So I think that played into this finish where Flair kind of held onto the ropes for leverage and then didn't let go. Um, but right now, I, I think I'm in agreement that they, they didn't massively build this Flair and Sting match up as a big match you were going to see on the first Nitro. They didn't simply build anything on this show. They they mentioned Liger was going to be there. They didn't mention the idea of Hogan and Big Bubba. But they never, you know, Big Bubba's been treading water for months. I mean, he, he pinned Sting clean about four months back now, I think, four or five months ago. And I remember at that point I was thinking, okay, we can we can move Big Bubba into a, a, a main event match like this with Hogan. That, that all seems to tie in together. Um, but the, the build-up for these matches fell short. They've got a bit better of that as, as the weeks have gone on. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of, uh, of Sting against Flair? Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about these two is, you know, they, they know how to not have a, have a bad match. So the fact that it's the first Nitro and, and these two are going at it, um, you know, it's something for the fans to, to, to take in um, and, and, you know, obviously make it, uh, you know, a show that, like you said, anything can happen. These big stars can be going up against each other. Like you said, they didn't really do that much build and make it feel like a, a big-time match. And, you know, that's not to put a knock on, on those two. That's obviously just to, to show the, the, you know, the audience going up against the WWF that we've got these big stars and, and they could be fighting at any, any moment in time. Um, yeah. Obviously we, sorry, go on. No, sorry, I was going to cut you off, but carry on. Yeah, right, okay. And obviously we had, uh, Luger come in, which, uh, which obviously we've just covered. Um, the, my, my only gripe, uh, about the match itself was, I just thought it was a bit of a stupid finish. I, you know, you've got, um, Anderson and, and Fleur who were, um, currently feuding with each other at the moment. And, you know, if, in, in my eyes, if I'm Anderson, I'm not going to want Fleur to, to have the upper, the upper hand in anything. So why go in and, and cause a DQ? It just, you know, if you, if you're going to go at it with him, wait till the match is finished, it's just, I, I just couldn't understand that myself, but for the match itself, you know, it wasn't, like um, like Brian just said, you know, it wasn't one of the uh, um, all-time classics that they've had in the past, um, but for, for free TV, for, for the first show of Nitro, you know, I thought it was uh, pretty good. Well, the, the, the DQ would have happened anyway. Flair was DQ for not letting go of the fire, so I think Anderson was just present rather than uh, causing faction in the, the, the match end. Um, and as I say, you know, on a, on a, I don't want to say a better paced show because I think for for an opening show I thought this actually was really well paced even though it was kind of 100 miles an hour. On a show that was perhaps a bit more sedate, they would have been able to tell the story of of Anderson again telling Flair you don't need to resort to these tactics. Um, but given that they just moved straight on from this match and given that it wasn't really mentioned other than the the, the Luger thing, I mean I I can't ever recall two stars like Ric Flair and Sting being in a a singles match on a live television show and being so insignificant. I mean, you want to talk about Luger? Because Sting could have faced anyone in this spot. The story people were going to, the takeaway was going to be, or, or flaring, I suppose, the takeaway was going to be Luger's arrived. And so I, as much as it was like, We've got Flair and Sting. I think given that they didn't massively forward promote this and given that, given all the other stuff going on, I don't think they necessarily need to put Sting into this spot. Um, 
Anyway, Flair and Anderson brawl up the R-way. Anderson is eventually held back. Then out walks Scott Norton to ringside, start confronting the announcers. Norton confronts Steve McMichael. Randy Savage runs out and squares up to Norton. Savage wants a match, but WCW officials hold Norton back. Uh, Brian, I think this was kind of probably the best illustration of what they were... This, I think, to me, was the biggest standout moment of the show, other than probably the Luger arrival, in terms of the the kind of atmosphere they wanted to create, in that we just had this big angle... And then out comes Scott Norton, just comes out. We, Scott Norton's not been on WCW TV, you know, if, if we discount his, you know, appearance on the, the New Japan Collision and Career Show. Scott Norton's not been anywhere on WCW TV. They barely mentioned him by name. Brian, was was this uh, a very good illustration of the kind of vibe WCW were trying to create? Yeah, it, it was chaotic. It was the vibe that everyone wants to be at WCW, that this is where the big boys play. Here's a guy that... He doesn't have the same name value as Alex Luger, but when he walked out and he saw how massive he was and you see that Savage is the one that faced him down, I mean, that is, that's huge. And the fact that it seems like every segment there's going to be a surprise, every segment something else is going to pop up. Oh my God, what is happening on the show? It was definitely their way of saying, like, this is where you need to be at every Monday night. Why? Yeah, it's a same sentiment as uh, uh, Brian though really it's, um, it's like one of the things I covered off at the start was it's got a more adult feel to it you're not going to see this in, in WWF Some someone coming from uh, from the back who's who, just um, clarify has, has he got the contract is he trying to get the contract I couldn't I, I don't know that they even explained it, but I've not really read up anything either way on that one, really. Yeah, um, but in that sense, um, you know, him coming out and, and being aggressive and approaching the, uh, you know, Bobby Heenan saying, you know, he, he's the man you need to speak to, going to uh, Bischoff. Um, it's just got, um, you know, it's, it's just making it feel like it's... Uh, it's not your typical wrestling show, is it? It's, it's, uh, as I said, it's, it's got the more adult feel to it. It feels a lot more real in, in that sense. Um, and like I said, with, with Savage obviously wanting to, to come down and challenge him as, as well. Um, you know, it obviously makes it feel like, uh, an even bigger, uh, a bigger deal that like this guy's coming. We don't know who he is. Um, you know, anyone can come out at any moment. And then next thing you've got is Savage coming and saying, well, I'll fight. You know, again, it's fighting any time. There's no build for it. It's like, you want to fight, I'll go with you now. I know, obviously, it's scheduled for, for the next Nitro, but it's just giving you that uh, nobody knows what's, uh, what's, what's really around the corner. A trailer airs for Sabu, who's debuting next week. And then IRS appears as Michael Wall Street. He's dressed in a suit and gold tie with a kind of emblazoned with a dollar sign. He says, quote, the new generation is the few generation. He says he's sure that the IRS will be watching him real close. And we move on to the main event. It's Big Bubba versus Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Hogan pushes Bubba into the corner, then flexes, which pops the crowd. Bubba starts off well, but Hogan takes control with two attempted ten punches in the corner. Bubba regains control with a thumb to the eye. Bubba hits a backbreaker on Hogan. Hogan rallies with a couple of big boots and just shoves Bubba to the ground. Hogan gets distracted by arguing with the ref. Bubba occupies himself, ripping apart, ripping Jimmy Hart's jacket off. Predictably, that gives Hogan the leverage to get back into the match. Then, with a pure heel move, Hogan attacks Bubba with Hart's jacket, while Hart stands on the apron and distracts the referee. Bubba charges Hogan into the corner, then eats some turnbuckle. Hogan shapes what seems to be a running DDT, but Bubba slams him. 
Oh, throws some right, but Hogan starts hulking up. Hogan hits the big boot, then the leg drop, and wins the match. Why? Here we go. It's the first Nitro um, on TNT. You're trying to make it uh, seem a lot different than, than, than what's out there at the moment. Um, and then we get Hogan in the main event doing his same shtick. Um, you know, every, everything's still the same. I have a little chuckle in the uh, Pastamania um, segment as well when he said uh, it's the first time that the title is online um, on, on TNT. And, and then I thought, well, it would be a start if you would have done one of the TV shows over the past 15 months, then, then maybe the title would have gone on the line. Um, but the match itself... You know, as I said, it was just the same old, same old with, with Hogan. Um, and, um, you know, I thought they, they should have put someone in rather than, than Big, um, uh, Big Bubba. You know, you've got, you've got two WWF guys. It's your first show on Nitro and, and you, you're putting them two in, in the main event. It's, I, I just disagreed with, um, with, with that. Right. You know what? I'm actually going to agree with Wayne here. It is very bizarre to think that here you are, your opening night for World Championship Wrestling. They're a debut show on Monday Nitro, and your main event, the thing that will cap off the entirety of the night, is a WWF guy versus a WWF guy, Big Boss Man versus Hulk Hogan. The fact that that's the decision they went with, uh, it is it is a little bizarre. And the match itself, it was just kind of pedestrian. I mean, there was nothing really that stood out until everything was over and then the chaos came back into play. Brian, to counteract the the WWF guy point, isn't there something to be said that given that this is Nitro running unopposed on the Monday night, that having a headline match between two guys that were pretty big names in the WWF probably, what, four, five, six years ago, would there not be something to be said for we're trying to hook people in from the other side? Let's use a name that we've got, one that we can beat, and two that there's fan awareness of. Is, is there something to be said for that, Brian? I, I completely agree. I can see that point. But at the same time, what is WCW to a fan who's never seen it before and they turn, tune in? It's right after that, they might think this is where the ex-WWF guys are at now. And maybe a Hogan versus Sting match where you would have saw something that would be seen as a dream match three or four years ago on regular television. I mean, that would be something, a hook to bring people in. But as far as the main event itself, I wasn't really too uh, too upset by it, to be perfectly honest, because eventually the memories of Big Bubba Rogers and Hogan go to work, go away because Luger makes his entrance. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we were, yeah, no, I, I thought that the match was, I, th- I thought it was fine. Um, you know, it wasn't really long enough to, you know, to massively develop an opinion one way or another, but, um, you know, I, I think Bowe was a placeholder. I, I think they did a poor job in the prior probably couple of months in really building him up for this kind of match. You know, I mean, they, they, they knew three months ago they had this time slot. I think within the last six or seven weeks they had this match kind of decided as the main event. Um, which, you know, given that we had Flair and Sting earlier, I guess you might say well, this perhaps didn't stand out in, in the way that, that match did. Um, but it did give someone that Hogan could beat cleanly, which was quite a nice change for WCW stuff. Um, and yeah, the match was fine. Uh, after the match, the Taskmaster, Zodiac, Kamala and the Shark run out to attack Hogan. Lex Luger runs out. Clean's house, Luger and Hogan then inadvertently bump backs and start arguing. Sting and Savage run out to peacemake. All right. 
right, we're trying to sort all of this out here at the Mall of America on the premier edition. I don't know what's going on, Hulk Hogan. What are you doing here, Luger? You've got no business in my backyard, Luger. Well, let me tell you why I'm here. I'll make it clear right up front. I'm here for one reason and one reason only. People say that you're the number one wrestler in the world today. You wear that WCW belt around your waist. And you know what? That makes you the only world's heavyweight champion. And I'm here to take that belt. That's why I'm here. Let me tell you something, Luger. One second, before you jump the gun, no. hold on just one second and let me finish. Then you'll have your peace. Just let me finish. I've been down the same roads as you. I've been where you've been. I've beaten the same people you've beaten. I am sick and tired of playing around with kids. I'm here to get it on with the big boys, and that means you. And I don't care whether it's next month, next year, or five oh, years from now. Oh, oh, I'm going to get oh, my brother. shot. You see this, brother? This is the WCW heavyweight title, brother. I'm the champion, and that's the way it's going to stay forever and a day. I know where you've been, brother. You've been playing games. I'm going to have to give you your due, brother. I know when you started and how long you've been at it, brother. But when you come in the WCW, when you get in Hulk Hogan's face, brother, there's thousands of Hulkamaniacs, brother, that are going to stand behind me each and every bit of the way, Luger. So as far as I'm concerned, brother, as great as you may be, you don't have to prove nothing to me, brother. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till next month. Just stick that stinky palm of yours out, brother. Shake my hand, and I'll put the WCW title on the line next Monday on Monday Nitro right in Miami. I'll put the title the no, WCW. You got it. You Ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe it. Apparently next Monday, yes, it's been confirmed. Hogan and Luger for the WCW heavyweight title. Luger says he's here because people say Hogan is the best and that Hogan is the, quote, only world heavyweight champion. He says he's tired of playing around with kids. He's here to get it on with the big boys. Bizarrely, Luger says he doesn't care if it takes five years to get his shot. Hogan says he knows Luger's been playing games. Hogan offers Luger a title shot next week on the first edition of Nitro that goes head-to-head with Raw. Wayne, what do you think of this closing segment? Well, I think it's pretty much um, a Luger show, isn't it? There's going to be two things that you, you, you take away from this Nitro, and it's um, Luger walking walking out during the Sting and Floor match, and it's it's going to be Luger and Hogan accidentally bumping into each other, um, and then obviously going you know face to face in in that sense. They're going to be the two things that you take away, and um, the you know the it, it sets it up that um, obviously with the with the Dungeon of Doom um, doing the beat down and. You know, it's, is, is, is Luger, uh, a part of the team? Is he, is, is he coming in for, for his own causes? What's, you know, what, what's his, what's his motive? What, why is he here? Um, so I thought it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a good ending to, uh, to, to end the show. Right. Luger versus Hulk Hogan setting up the next main event for the, uh, the second WCW Monday Nitro. Uh, I, th- I thought it was good. I thought that's exactly what you want to do. Even if it's a WWF guy versus another WWF guy, at least this is something of a, a dream match, kind of like what I said earlier with Sting versus Hogan. This is the match that no one has seen 
So here we go, seven days from now, set your VHS tapes, set your VCRs. It's going to be good. Yeah, no, hard to disagree with, with what either of you guys said. I think in terms of a, a hot way to go off the air, um, one thing I thought was that Luger showed way more fire here than perhaps at any time since he lost at SummerSlam two years ago. Um, I think there was a there's a really good progr- promo from Luger in the lead up to the the, the first Yokozuna match on the Raws before SummerSlam '93. I remember watching that. I think there's some real fire here. And since since Luger lost, and, and not like his push was derailed straight away after that match, although you might argue it was. Since then, like you you saw over time, Luger's cousin enthusiasm wane. Um, and I think one thing that we saw here was that Luger's got some fire back, and it, it really came across. There was one point where Hogan tries to jump in, and Luger says, "No, I I've, I I need to say something here. You 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 you've had your time. You'll get your time." And I thought that was really encouraging. A, a really hot way to go off the air. You've got Luger, Savage, Sting, and Hogan, the four biggest guys in the company, assuming Vader doesn't come back, um, in the ring. Kind of a really kind of high octane finish in terms of the intensity, and. Uh, as much as as much as we might qualm, and as much as Brian, you're quite right in saying it's another WWF guy against Hogan next week. Once Luger fell into their lap, and once Vader fell out of their lap, they had to do this. They had to do this like this. I don't think there was another way of doing this. It was a great hook to set up the uh, the, the first head-to-head show. Um, Brian, what, what uh, your your overall thoughts on this show? We are going to discuss kind of the the, the full month of Nitros after we review full brawl. Um, but what did you think of this show? That's perfectly acceptable. I mean, there was no real low points or nothing that really made me groan. It for a debut episode, this is extremely entertaining. It's definitely rewatchable. It's something that I can have forever. Just continue to go back, rewind my VHS tape, and watch this over and over and over again. Why? Yeah, I, I, I liked it. it. Was you know, it had a good opener. It had a meet and mid card. It had surprises. Um, you know, it, it had a, it, it had what you could class as a main event. It had Hogan, the champion, in the main event. So, uh, you know, for a, for a, for a TV show, I, I can't think you can ask for any uh, any more than that. Um, one of the things I'd uh, I've not mentioned yet is you know the commentary team. You know, I really do like it. I mean, I, I really I, I like uh, Michaels anywhere from obviously when he had that brief moment um, in in WWF. Um, can he call a match? No, but you know he adds a, a different dimension to, to that commentary team with. Uh, um, you know, obviously you've got your, your, your first commentator in Bischoff, you've got your heel commentator in, uh, in Heenan, and then you've got your comedy aspect with, um, with obviously McMichaels, um, obviously you get your comedy from, from Heenan as well, but I think those two really do mesh together, although, you know, I didn't really get the understanding of, of the heat between them and, and what that was trying to, um, try, you know, trying to come across as, um, but, you know the, you know the, the commentary team as as a whole, um, you know just uh, went really well with with the actual show. So all in all, um, we couldn't ask for any more. It's, it's you know as I said, it's it's a lot different than, than WWF in in the way that they're projecting to uh, what the demographic they're they're after. As I said, it's got more of an adult feel to it. Um, so yeah, this this particular show as as a whole, you know, I can't really uh, can't really grumble too much. No, um, I, as I said earlier, a mile a minute show, um, that, that set out to, I think in a way, try and create as much noise as possible by just throwing as many different things as the viewer they could and, and hoping some of them stuck. 
Um, you know, I, I could fault this show for pacing. I could fault this show for, for giving away, you know, two massively big matches on, on the lot of notice. Um, I could fault this show for a lot of things. Um, but I think in terms of they had a goal and it was a, a highly entertaining 45 minute show. And there aren't many times in the last two years I could have said that about either WWF or WCW. ECW is also slightly different. Um, but yeah, no, a, a really entertaining show. The, the Luger kind of tie in was, was the perfect thing to be able to put in front of the audience in terms of, um, you know, Vader was going to be in the spot. Obviously, he wouldn't have just walked out randomly over the show, but they were going to set up Vader for the second show against Hogan. But once Luger came into their lap, it was it, it was perfect. On Saturday the 9th of September, we get the episode of WCW Saturday Night. Craig Pittman confronts Cobra after a Cobra squash match. They both claim the other broke the code. Cobra maintains that Pittman left him in the jungle, but they don't seem to want to elaborate on the story. For what it's worth, at this stage in the proceedings, WCW is still advertising Vader for the full brawl main event. During a match between Dirty Dick Slater and John B. Bad, Sherry comes out on crutches and helps provide a distraction with the heat to allow Bad to win. She's still madly in love with Colonel Parker. We get a sit-down interview with Aunt Anderson's wife. She says that Aunt has been distant recently and holiday plans have been affected. Aunt walks in during the interview. He runs the camera off and said it's a personal matter between him and Flair. We cut the footage from WCW Pro earlier in the day, detailing an altercation in Ric Flair's dressing room. Chris Cruz is backstage. Arn Anderson comes out and clearly quite angry. He wants answers from Flair. In quite a cool moment in the main event, Sting comes out dressed as Randy Savage. Savage comes out wearing Sting face paint himself. They defeat the Blue Bloods in the main event. After the match, Taskmaster confronts Sting and Savage and asks them whether they can trust Vader. He might be onto something there. Vader walks out and Savage and Sting question his loyalty. This was obviously taped before Vader was suspended. On September 11th for WCW Monday Nitro, Eric Bischoff says Vader is AWOL. He hasn't, quote, filed the proper paperwork and he's out of the pay-per-view. We open up Nitro with Sabu against Alex Wright. The action tumbles to the outside. Sabu vaults off a chair, attempting a sidekick, but Alex Wright moves and Sabu eats the guardrail. Wright follows up with a lovely high angle dropkick from the top turnbuckle. Sabu eventually wins with a reverse Hurricane Rana from the top rope. After the match, Sabu lays right onto a table, then climbs to the top rope and basically shoulder charges him through it. The referee then disqualifies Sabu and awards Wright the victory. Ric Flair cuts a promo mid-ring with Mean Gene Oakland. Flair said that when he and Anderson were together, they ruled the world. Lex Luger comes out. Luger says, Flair never changes, and then walks off. Mike Wall Street is out facing Sting, except now he's called VK Wall Street, obviously a rib on Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Bischoff isn't quite in asking Heenan what the name change is all about. Bischoff then says, quote, In case you're tempted to grab the remote control and check out the competition, don't bother. It's three weeks old. Shawn Michaels beat the big guy with a super kick. For those used to IRS wearing a shirt and tie for his matches, Wall Street is wearing a singlet with big dollar, big gold dollar signs on each side. Steve McMichael at one stage on Luger says, quote, He literally came out of the bush leagues to play with the big boys. Sting wins the match with a flying cross body block. Next up is Scott Norton versus Randy Savage. After quite a hard hitting match, the Shark and Zodiac run out. Savage whips Norton into the Shark on the apron. Norton falls down. Shark falls on top of Norton and Savage jumps on from the top for the win. The main event is Hulk Hogan versus Lex Luger for the WCW World Heavyweight title. 
We actually get a bit of chain wrestling in this one. Bischoff says, quote, Let's face it, you've got the world champion in the WWF who barely made it past mid-level here, obviously referring to Diesel. Luger puts Hogan in the torture rack. Hogan's arm drops twice, then Luger lets go himself when he thinks he's dropped it a third time. Hogan hulks up, then hits a big boot, drops the leg, and then outrun the Dungeon of Doom. Critically, the Dungeon of Doom don't attack Luger, which makes Hogan suspicious. Hogan and Savage are critical of Luger, but Sting sticks up with his real-life friend. Savage votes no, Sting votes yes, and eventually Hogan sides with Luger to partner them at full brawl. On Saturday the 16th of September for WCW Saturday Night, we get a Hulk Hogan promo showing off his range of motorcycles. And, in the main event, Brian Pillman defeated Alex Wright in a very technical matchup. After Pillman won the backside pin, he and Jonathan Badwood exchanged words ahead of their match at full brawl. The recent dispute between Arn Anderson and Ric Flair has really hit home, especially when you talk about the Anderson family, as we saw this morning when we talked to Arn's wife, Erin Anderson. Oh, it's affected us greatly. Um, he won't really talk about it, you know, to me, but uh, he's... He's very short-tempered and, and uh, you know, very moody, and it's bothering him a lot, I can tell, because, like I said, he, he, he won't talk about it. But usually we spend a lot of our summer with Rick and his family, and this summer we haven't seen him at all, and um, our family vacations have been uh, ruined because Arn just, uh, he's just, I don't know, he's just distance and tense and not the same. We were supposed to go visit my family last month, and that got canceled because of Arn. They've been like brothers um, ever since they've known each other. They've been very close, and and and. Aaron, whose van is that out in the garage? Uh, we're in here. Whose van is that out? Oh, never mind. I don't know who these guys are. What do you guys want? We're just trying to get some answers to some questions about uh, the relationship between you and Ric Flair, and, and we, ju- we just try to ask some is questions. That right? oh, is that right? So you're going to ask her? This doesn't involve her. This doesn't involve her at all. Listen, I know how you bloodsuckers are, and I told you at the office, didn't I? I would tell you what I wanted you to know. You're just like the rest of these journalists. You want to come down here trying to scrape up some dirt? Cut that, cut that camera off. Well, Mr. Flair wouldn't talk to us. We're just trying to get, we're just trying to get some information on. Let me explain on. something to you. This is a personal matter between Rick Flair and myself, and we'll resolve it. But I said, cut that camera off. And we move on to WCW Fall Brawl. We'll start with the main event that aired in the hour prior to the show. Hulk Hogan rocks up on Harley Davidson outside the arena. Hogan is cutting his usual promo, then a monster truck comes into view. Hogan, Gene Oakland and the group of fans scarper as the monster truck mows down the motorcycle before driving back over it. The monster truck is decked out in Dungeon of Doom lettering and is being driven by the giant. Big Bell wins a squash match. We cut back live to Hulk Hogan is being interviewed by me and Gene Oakland. Macho Man interrupts and asking if Luger has cut a deal with the Dungeon of Doom. Hogan says they can take on, they can take three on five. Then Savage asks if Sting has also turned to the dark side. Hogan says he still reckons they've got it if it's two versus six. After the break, Oakland is backstage with Ric Flair. We then see Disco Inferno with a squash match over jumping Joey Maggs. Alex Wright fought Eddie Guerrero to a double countout with Guerrero appearing to injure his knee. Wright sought Guerrero to help as the match finished. 
The preview for the main event list is Vader as being AWOL. Marcus Bagwell is now part of a tag team called the American Males. They're facing the Nasty Boys. During the match, Sister Sherry walks out. She's followed by Colonel Robert Parker carrying a bouquet of flowers. Sags gets quite pissed off by the action outside, so he hits Parker in the face with the flowers. In the end, the Males win thanks to interference from Bunkhouse Buck. We have main event with a promo from Hogan, Savage, Sting and Luger all in camo gear. Sting says Luger is good. Luger says actions speak louder than words and that he's going to be there. And we move on to full brawl. Wayne kicks off with the results. Johnny Babad defeated Brian Pillman in a singles match for the number one contender for the WCW United States Championship. Sergeant Craig Pittman defeated Crook Cobra. Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Dollar Max Muscle defeated the Renegade in a singles match for the WCW World Television Championship. Harlem Heat with Sister Sherry defeated Bunkhouse Book and Dick Slater with Curl Rubber Parker in a tag team match for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. Ian Anderson defeated Rick Fleur and the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger and Sting defeated the Dungeon of Doom, Kamala, the Zodiac, the Shark and Meng with the Taskmaster in the War Games match. Brian, what do you think of Full Brawl? Overall, I enjoyed it. It's not one of my favorite things that I've seen. There were a couple of low points in the, in the uh, bouts, a couple of things I didn't really care for. Uh, I think probably, I guess, the lowest point would be the Cobra match against the Sergeant Pittman, Pitbull Pittman. Overall, it was okay. Why? From all the pay-per-views I've, I've covered WCW-wise on, on the show, I'd probably say this is... Uh, um, this is the best one of the lot. Um, that's not to say, you know, uh, I was. Uh, um, I, 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 I... That's not to say that I was like, you know, amazed by it. Uh, it had some really good stellar matches on there. Um, and like you said, what, what Brian said, you know, it had his, his low points as well with, um, with, with the Pittman and, and Cobra match, if you can even call it that. Um, mm-hmm. all in all, yeah, I thought, you know, it was, it, it's not something I would go out of my way of to, to, to watch the whole of the pay-per-view. There's probably a couple of matches that I, that I would do, but, um, you know, the, the pay-per-view, um, itself, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't too bad. Yeah, this was an odd show. I think for all of the the thing we spoke about earlier with Nitro and the kind of really high intensity pacing, I think the one thing you say about this show was it almost felt like it was missing one or two matches. Um, yeah, this was a this was a long pay per view. I think you know. Or just shy of three hours in length. Only had six matches, I think. Um, you know, we had the the bizarre thing of this 28 minute opening match that we'll we'll come to in a minute, and the, the circumstances behind that. Um, you know, uh, I, I didn't mind Cobra and Pittman. I think it was short enough to the point where it wasn't particularly a massive negative. Um, and then, you know, we, we get like every WCW tag match you've seen this year in the Heat against Buck and Slater, um, Anderson and Flair, which was. Good. I, I I perhaps expected a little more, and then we we get war games, and you know I, I, those who've who've heard me do war game shows um, in the past will know my feelings on that, and I, I don't think this match was any different to that. Um, but we will start with uh, during the introduction they described Luger as having quote returned from behind enemy lines, which tied into their camo army theme as well as their their, their, their view of the WWF. Uh, we're in Asheville, North Carolina, and it's Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan with the call. 
We open with Fire and Brian versus John Reed Bad with the winner faces Sting for the United States title. This is a one full match with a 20 minute time limit. The match gets the full Michael Buffer treatment. Pillman gets booed by the crowd. The pair shake hands as the match begins. Shivoni says the winner will take on Sting in two weeks time on WCW Saturday night. We get a double drop kick spot. Both miss and return to a standing position. Pillman gets the best of an arm drag before working on a submission. Pillman grapevines Bad's legs, then rolls through into a lovely bridge pin for a two. Pillman hits a head scissors. We cut to the crowd. A child's holding a sign that says Bobby Heenan for president. Heenan says the child is the mayor of Asheville. Pillman locks in a Boston crab. The crowd rally behind Bad and Pillman let the hole go. Pillman starts heeding up, grabbing Bad by the hair and shouting, Who's the bad man now? Bad counters into a tilt and wild bad backbreaker. Bad locks in a surfboard stretch. Pillman gets to the ropes and the pair exchange shoves. Bad lands some punches and Pillman escapes up the aisleway for a breather. Pillman wants another handshake, but Bad rejects. Pillman bites Bad on the forehead. The player collide mid-ring. Pillman gets to his feet first, only to knock Bad back down with a headbutt. We're at the 15-minute mark in this 20-minute match. Bad throws Pillman to the outside before hitting a topay. Bad goes to the top rope, comes off, but Pillman hits a high-angle dropkick to reverse the momentum. Bad hits the sit-out power bomb for a two-count. Pillman catches Bad coming off the ropes and hits a two, turns it into a tombstone pile driver. Bad kicks out. Pillman tries a DDT from the second rope. Bad pushes him off and almost gets a three. As we come into the final minute, both men exchange submission holds. Bad goes for a pin near the ropes, but the ref calls it off. Pillman goes for a couple of pins and the time limit expires. Time limit expires and Nick Patrick takes it upon himself to add an overtime period, which makes you question why we had a time limit in the first place. He didn't quite rightly ask how long sudden death will be. Shivoni says, until we get a finish. The action spills to the outside and Pillman drives Bad into the guardrail. Pillman goes for a dropkick from the top. Bad responds with a dropkick of his own and both hit the match. Pillman locks in a sleeper. Bad collapses to the ground but fights out of the hold. Pillman puts Bad on the top turnbuckle, slaps him in the face. Bad pushes him on and hits a lovely fur over sunset flip from the top. Bad goes for another powerbomb. Pillman hits reverse it into a hurricane runner. Pillman goes for a crucifix but Bad stops him in the move and drops it almost a small drop for a two. Bad hits a fantastic Frankensteiner from the top turnbuckle but Pillman somehow kicks out. Pillman hits his DDT at the second attempt from the second rope, only gets a two. Pillman goes to the top, Bad pushes him off and Pillman eats the guardrail. Bad then hits a somersault flasher for a two. Bad goes for a twisting splash from the apron to Pillman, who's in the ring, who gets his knees up. Pillman goes for a suicide dive, for Bad so far up the R way that Pillman barely connects. Pillman goes for a dive from the top, Bad catches him and crotches him on the ropes. Eventually, Pillman and Bad collide in the ring, Bad goes for a pin... And gets the three. Wayne, I can relax for a minute. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, just just listening to your play-by-play commentary then, just uh, giving me goosebumps, just reminded me of uh, of that match. I thought it was a great match. Um, I'm not uh, one of uh, Johnny Babad's biggest fans. Uh, I think I've mentioned that on, on one of the previous podcasts I've done. Um, but, you know, I can't, I can't fault him in this with uh, uh, with Brian Pillman. You know, I thought they put on a really, really good uh, uh, good performance. And, and what it shows is... You know, given time uh, from the from the booking team, um, you know they can actually uh, go out there and, uh, and put on a, a stellar match. It's not all about um, Hogan's uh, close close allies and, uh, and friends um, in, in these matches. You've got guys in in the locker room now that can go out and, um, and, and put bums on seats and put eyes on the uh, um, eyes on, on on the programming. Um, and I thought it was uh, it was a really good showing from from both. Uh, again, you know, I've got got it in 
in my note here. You know, I was a bit confused by um, the, the the time limit, and you know, if it was ever going to be, um, you know, if it was never going to have uh, a time limit draw, then just don't have that in there. But uh, you know, that's all all by the by, and maybe I'm being a bit picky about it. Um, but I thought the other good thing uh, about it was the was the character development of, uh, uh, of, of Brian Pillman during the match. Um, him starting off as uh, as the face, you know, the handshake at the start, and then just gradually through the through the match and in the slow development, him just bringing out the heel tactics and um, and then obviously just being uh, you know pretty much full, full, full on heel um, near, near the end. Um, and the other thing I referenced as well was uh, um, it was a bit of um, bit ironic that he uh, used how uh, the commentary team mentioned that he. Um, uh, used the face rubber uh, along the ropes uh, as, as one of Anderson's uh, moves. Yeah, now uh, well, well, well referenced there, Brian. What do you think? To me, this match actually sets a high point that never actually gets touched by anything else on this show. The two going together, to me, I I look at it as being two guys going at complete war against one another, but being just evenly matched. And just like Wayne said, you can see that. Pillman has to go a little bit darker and some of his moveset is to go a little bit darker in his persona to try to get one over on Badden. This ends up being like one of the best matches I've ever seen Johnny B. Badden. I'd only caught a couple of things through uh, some VHS tapes I've rented from Blockbuster and I've always liked Johnny B. Badden even though, you know, he's a little Richard knockoff. But I guess there's something cool about him. It's just the way he is. His, his persona is pretty entertaining to me. But the fact that the very end, both of these guys are at war. You get the you get the time limit draw, restart the match, and John B. Bad gets busted over his left eye. He is fighting, he is struggling, and then to get a win, it's a well deserved win for him. Yeah, I mean I think in terms of you know, this match was I think to answer the question that Wayne said about the, the twenty minute time it, I think maybe the idea was we got you know, 28 minutes to fill. Let's put a little crutch in the middle. We're going a bit of a breather, and plus it kind of breaks up the match a bit. I kind of think that was all that for. Otherwise, it just seemed a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, this was you know, really good. I mean, two guys that you know, I mean, Pillman's. I don't, I don't know if he's even fair to say he's got little momentum. He, he, he's so infrequently on TV, or he was until this point. I mean, he, he, he ended the month as. Uh, as quite an important member of the roster, but I, I think to answer the generally bad thing, I, I think some people kind of look at the character and it's, it's not a character that kind of stinks of credibility when you kind of watch him. And so I think it's quite easy to forget that generally bad can go. Um, uh, and we've seen it quite a lot in the last, you know, 18 months that when he's trying to be bad in the ring with someone who he's motivated with to have a good match, invariably they'll have a good match. And there was that run with, with Arn Anderson at the, the turn of the year where it was like, you know, Anderson, we all know, can go and bad when he's motivated can go. Uh, uh, and that was the situation here. And and this whole thing is fascinating because the one reason when I said at the top it's quite a weird show was that a 28-minute opening match is something we've never seen from WCW before. And Pillman uh, had that, that really good match with Alex Wright a few months ago, but that was nowhere near this long. Um, and basically, as it turns out, you know, as, as, as we referenced briefly at the beginning of the news, or the end of the news, Steve Austin got released this month, and Austin's kind of been grouped in with guys like Pillman and Bad and, and Lord Steven Regal. Younger guys, guys without the 
the, the kind of WWF heritage that many of the guys at WCW look for now have got. Um, and basically, you know, Austin had, you know, I don't know enough to say attitude problems, but I think there was a perception was he did carry a bit of a chip on his shoulder. The perception was he was better than some of the guys. He thought he was better than some of the guys who are at the card. So basically, they, they released Austin, got rid of him, got rid of the contract. And then they thought, right. Let's prove a point. What we're gonna, the idea, the, the whole reason this match was so long, the whole reason this match got so much time was that the, there were some people in the back that wanted to see these two fail. So he said, right, let's give them 28 minutes and let's see them fluff this up. And as it turned out, they had the best match on the show and one of the best matches this year. Flair cuts a promo backstage, chronicling his long past with Diane Anderson. Oakland asks if Flair hates Anderson. Flair says the problem is that he loves it. We move on. It's Cobra against Sergeant Craig Pittman. Cobra comes out in his annoying Morse code music. Pittman's music hits, but Pittman doesn't appear. Instead, a serviceman comes out to distract Cobra. We cut to Pittman coming in from the rafters with our zip line, or, well, just kind of a rope. Uh, he climbs to the ring behind Cobra's back, then chokes out Cobra using his ammo belt. Doesn't get a DQ or any any reprimand from the referee. Uh, Cobra goes to the top. Pittman slams into the mat. Pittman puts in his code red armbar, and that's enough for a quick victory. Brian? Uh, not really much to say here. I thought it was interesting to see Cobra walk out and hand over his dog tag to one of the children sitting in the front row. I thought it was very, uh, very heroic. And look at this guy. He is the all-American soldier. He's the good guy. And then here comes Pittman in from the rafters, sneaks up, does an army crawl in between the two rings to get behind Cobra. They start their match up. Not really much to talk about. Once he gets that code red, it's over. Why? Yeah, short and sweet, wasn't it? I think, you know, the highlight of the match itself was, was Pittman coming down on, on the, um, the sit line and, and like Brian said, doing the, uh, doing the armor crawl, um, under the ropes of the two rings. Um, that's I, I did, I did call it a zip line. It was more kind of lowered from the rafters. That was, that was me kind of, you know, misreferencing it. It, 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 it. it didn't do a massive bit like, you know, 100 yard or like 50 yard zip wire down to the ring or anything like that. It was kind of very, very creepy. Carol, Wayne. Sorry, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know my ropes in all honesty. I'm not an expert. Yeah. So apologies. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as I said, that, that was probably the only thing that you could, uh, that you could really speak about. Um, pro- probably a bit too harsh on it at the, at the start of, uh, of, of this recording. Um, you know, I can, you know, I can see why it was, it was put there. Um, you're going to need something to, to break up that um, that match that we've just had before, which went close to half an hour, and and straight after this we've we've got the title match. So you know I can understand why they've just put something in there to to let people get the breath back after after that last match, and and obviously nip to the toilet as well, probably. Yeah, um, I think the low point in the show is definitely to come. I mean, this match wasn't very long, and Wayne, I think you're right in saying it was basically just an entrance. Um, the match itself was what it was, and and we get to um, I think Saturday night, it's either the following week or the week after, um, and we get kind of the reverse of this with with Cobra sneaking up on Pitman for the win as well. Um, but yeah, what wasn't long enough to 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 be anything abhorrent, and you know, it it, it tells a nice enough story. I, I'm quite disappointed actually, given that when they bought Cobra in, I thought they might really flesh this program out, but they never really, haven't really done that. You know, the whole story is, Cobra says, you left me in the jungle. Pillman says, no, you deserted me. And it's like, okay. And that's it. And that's really been the story. And they haven't really elaborated on that that far. Um, 
But you know, anyway, the, the match was short. As I say, I think it was it was mainly the entrance. Uh, we cut match of footage of Paul Orndorff flipping his shit in his locker room. He doesn't know if he's Mr. Wonderful anymore. Gary Spivey of the Spy- Psychic Network comes out and says that he's had a vision. Spivey tells him that he has to be Mr. Wonderful. Orndorff looks in the mirror and sees Mr. Wonderful. He starts kissing his arms before kissing his reflection in the mirror. Brian. Can we just say that a wrestler kissing himself, making out of himself in the mirror is absolutely disgusting. It's something I've never seen before on television. I mean, even Lex Luger as a narcissist would pose and look at himself and stare at himself as he, as his God, but he never actually went that step further and made out with himself. It was just super gross. Didn't like it. Gary Spivey's here. Don't like that either. Ah, what a weird, weird clip. Uh, Brian, do you know who Gary Spivey is? I've seen him a couple times in my magazines, but at this point, I haven't actually seen him in anything beyond this. Yeah. Um, Why? Anything more? No, nothing more. It was just all a bit too, uh, bit too weird for my liking. Even before uh, Gary, Gary come in there, um, just the 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 cut scenes of of all these different positions that Arndorf was insane. Am I Mister Wonderful? What's going on? I just just found it all surreal. Yeah, a very weird segment, and uh, basically the, the the payoff of all this, um, it, it, he is now Mr. Wonderful, he's not Paul Orndorff, uh, he kind of comes out with this operatic music and he's just constantly looking himself in the mirror. Um, not not a character change I think any of us were, were clamouring for uh, really at this stage in the game. Uh, but we move on to Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll and Max Muscle versus the Renegade with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Television Championship. Renegade storms the ring and almost chases DDP off, but Page quickly springs an attack as the bell rings. Page falls to the outside, then walks into the ring post before falling into the front row. Renegade locks in a side headlock. Renegade drapes Page over the top rope into a headlock before letting him drop to the mat. Page snaps Renegade's head off the top rope, then wants a 10 from the doll. Page then hits a swinging netbreaker. The pair exchange near falls. Heenan points out Renegade has never been in a match this long. With that, Page nails his shoulder into the ring post. Renegade takes out Page from the top, but can only get a 2. DDP hits a DDT, and both men are out. Renegade hits a power slam, then goes to the top, hits a crossbody to Max Muscle on the outside. As Renegade attempts to get back into the ring, Max holds his leg, DDP hits a diamond cutter for the three count. The diamond doll doesn't look impressed, but we have a new WCW World Television Champion, Wayne. For a Renegade match, I didn't think it was all that bad. (laughs) Um, I don't know whether you want to cut me off this podcast now or what for everything that we've said about Renegade over the it, it, it's not his worst that's why my praise will end <laughs> well yeah that, that's probably the way I should have uh, should have got about it but uh, I think we need to change this um, uh, the name of the of the title as well from uh, from the television title to the uh, karate reference the, the green belt because um, as much as DDP is improving um, it just seems like we've gone from I'm, I'm really going to be harsh on, on DDP, so I'm, I'll, I'll stop myself. But what I was going to say is, um, we've gone from one guy who, who can't wrestle to, to another, and as I said, that, that's being harsh on DDP. I think he's he's done well with his with his character over over the past few months, and and he's improving um, each time I watch him. So you know, I can't I can't fault him. But is he ready for the title? I'm I'm not quite sure. But um, considering that it's uh, you know it's it's gone from Redigate to him, then maybe in that sense he probably is ready for the title because um, um, what what is this title it's, it's a title that's just uh, uh, as, as, 
as it says, it's you know just a just a TV title. Um, one thing that I, I will say is I didn't get the ending. Um, you've you've got Renegade who's going f- for the win, and all I thought was you've just got shit for brains. You're, you're jumping off the off the title. You're going to do your um, for, for, for something that I've I've never actually seen on a pay per view show. Is I'm guessing that was going to be his, his finishing move. The splash off the off the top rope. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. It usually is. Yeah. Um, and um, you know he, he goes to the outside, but. Then it, it was Jimmy Hart that was telling him to do it. He's meant to be your manager, you know. He, you, you want him to, to keep the title, so why are you telling him to not do his um, uh, finishing move on, on DDP and, and close the match, but instead jump on Max Muscle? And then when DDP, um, sorry, when he wasn't, he was distracting the referee. It was like, what, what's what's going on? It's like, leave the referee alone, Jimmy. It's like Renegade is, uh, there's, you know, there's something happening in the ring, and it all, it just, I was just very, very confused by it at the end. So, but uh, all in all, like I said it's it's not one of the worst uh, Renegade matches that we've seen. So, in in, in that sense, uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was a little thumbs up from me. Right. Let me ask, Max Muscle. He had fought the Renegade. Probably the week prior on Saturday night. Was um, that why he's there? Well, Max Muscle's been by DDP side for you know a while now, really. So it was as they kind of put that trio together. Uh, he did face Renegade, but it, it was a while back. I don't think it was recent. I got think it might have been July or maybe early August. Um, I think it might have been probably in the probably just after the climate. I think it was August. I don't think it certainly wasn't um, September. I don't think. Yeah, I guess it's just I'm not usually home on Saturday night, so I'm missing some of these key elements, these storylines, because the only thing that I realized like he had a connection to the Renegade was through a match, and I had no idea that there was an actual feud there going on. But as far as Diamond Dallas Page is concerned, you know, the guy pretty much has everything to take him to the top at this point, except for wrestling ability. I mean, he's got the flashy and gorgeous Diamond Doll, He's got the Gary Glitter Rock and Roll Part 2 rip-off theme music. He's got an actual pretty decent look. I, I like the the smug, over-the-top character that Diamond Dallas Page is. But when he's in the ring, the way he was kind of flopping around, it was a bit over-the-top sometimes. And to, to be fair, to be fair, he is in the ring with the <laughs> Renegade. Let's not... Let, let's, you know, I mean, I'm not saying Diamond Dallas Page is Bret Hart. But, you know, let's not judge a guy having to carry the Renegade around for six minutes. Well, I mean, like the, the first thing he did, the headbutt, and then immediately flopped like a fish out to the outside as if he had been knocked out by his own force of his own uh, maneuver. So it was just kind of funny and cartoonish, but I, I like him. I like what I've seen of him so far. And the diamond cut at the very end with Mac Muscle holding on to the Renegade. Good finish. Yeah, I mean... Renegade's just awful. I mean, you know, thankfully it seems like this run is over, but you know, it's just been a, it's been real bizarre. When they brought him in, it was like, you know, as this kind of enforcer, kind of warrior type ripoff, but as time has gone on and kind of, he shed a lot of the warrior type characteristics and they tried to turn him into this, I don't know, I don't know what they, I don't know what they thought. I mean, he beat Arn Anderson for the title in May or June. Like, you know, drink that in. Like, you know, and then 
you know, they put him with Orndorff. Orndorff couldn't get a good match out of him. They put him with DDP. DDP couldn't either, but that doesn't shock me. Um, yeah, like, yeah, the, the, the sooner this experiment has ended, and hopefully it looks like it has, um, the better, I think. Um, in terms of Dallas Page, I mean, they, they've done some good work with his character development, and, and they've pushed him a lot harder than they pushed a lot of other guys. So I'd expect him to start to gain some traction by this stage, given that he's been a quite a prominent character now, and a character they've done a lot with, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the more wacky Saturday night segments of the last six months have involved him, you know, the bit with him playing golf, the bit with him, you know, with, um, Eric Bischoff with the kind of covert undercover footage, the bit with, you know, Dave Sullivan on the date with the doll, all of these kind of wacky little skits. And then we, you know, we come to this, that they're doing some decent work with Dallas Page and they've got, you know, Max Muscle, who's his, who's his enforcer, his muscle, and they've got, you know, literally, uh, and they've got Diamond Dahl, who's his eye candy as well, who's kind of babyface playing the manager of Heel, which is quite a nice dynamic too. Um, yeah, but, you know, if, if they're gonna rebuild this television title, they need to put him in, you know, and, and his next feud is with John B. Bad, so hopefully, if you've got two guys that are motivated, you, we might start to see some, uh, some better matches. Anyway, we move on. It's Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry versus Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater with Connor Robert Parker for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. The Heat take the early early advantage in the match. Bunkhouse Buck gets driven into the corner and double teamed by the Heat. Booker T hits a jumping sidekick for a two. Slater hits a neck breaker to Stevie, who quickly recovers into a nerve hold. The heels get in control with Stevie Ray playing the babyface in peril. Slater hits Stevie Ray with a pile driver, only gets a two count. With the referee distracted, Slater drives Booker T off of the guardrail. Booker goes flying towards Buck in the corner. Buck moves and Booker crashes off the turnbuckle and lands hard. Booker goes for a DDT, but Buck counters into a body slam. Slater goes for a high angle Boston Crab, but Stevie Ray breaks it up with a big scissor kick. Buck tags in, uh, Buck tags in and maintains the hold. Booker T hits the scissor kick and gets Stevie Ray in his corner. We get all four men in the ring. Ray gets sent to the outside and the attack restarts on Booker. Meanwhile, in the other ring, Sherry and Connor Art Parker face off as Sherry kind of crawls towards him. Uh, they start kissing. The nasty boys get involved, strike Slater with his boot and with the referee's back turned. The Heat win the tag titles. Connor Art Parker couldn't give a shit as he's happy as Larry kissing Sherry. After the match, Buck and the Colonel start arguing. Brian. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, Bobby Heenan made sure to point out at the very beginning, you know, this is a culture clash, the two brothers from Harlem versus Slater and Buck. And Bobby Heenan points out that these two, the Harlem Heat, they're not thugs. These guys are conditioned athletes. And I was a bit disappointed at the very end to see it go the way it did with the Nasty Boys running in because I thought the two actually were having a great match and that have a run in and just kind of a murky finish. Uh, uh, it was a little disappointing, but I guess I want to take back what I said earlier about Ford, Paul Orndorff kissing himself as being the grossest thing on the show. I think the oh, oh Orndorff kissing himself was was worse than this. No, I don't Not know. Rock, did, you but... see, did you see the the lipstick and the tongue? The Colonel <laughs> Parker. It was ah, uh, you know, no, no, that is the worst thing. That's the grossest thing on the show. But I did enjoy how uh, the replay made sure to catch a little bit of cheek of Sherry on the third or fourth replay of the kids. I thought that was uh, pretty funny, the fact that that's where they went to. 
Yeah, I, I mean, like, Parker and Sherry seem to have down the whole thing where Sherry will kiss Parker and then we'll cut away and we'll cut back and Parker is just covered in lipstick. Um, they seem to be, both seem to be really good at that. But Brian, I, I think we can tell this is your first time on this show in that, Wayne, th- this is every WCW tag match I've seen in the last 12 months. Yeah, the, the, the predictable stuff in the middle. It's weird. I call the heat faces. They're not really faces. They, they, they were heels the next night on Nitro. But, you know, the, the, the standard stuff with a tag match and then Wayne, it ends in a DQ because it yes. always ends in a DQ. Well, I've, I've got here from November 1994, which was Clash of the Champions 29. Um, why does Slamboree 95 stand out from all the other clashes and, and pay-per-views? It's because it's the only match that involves Harlem Heat that ends in a clean finish. Is when Nasty Boys just uh, just pinned them clean. Every other match has got a screwy finish. Whether they were fighting um, the the um, Marcus, uh, Marcus Bagwell, I can't remember. Um, it's the Patriot one. It Patriot, yeah. The yeah. Uh, with with the Nasty Boys, obviously, I'm including the the uncensored match in that because although it didn't have a screwy finish. They were they were fighting in a fake concession stand and the camera missed the pin. So you know I'm I'm, I'm including that one in there as well. But it's like every single tag match that these guys are having doesn't matter who it's with. And and to be fair, it doesn't even have to involve Harlem Heat tag matches. They just don't seem to to end clean at all. And um, you know that, that that's obviously got to change sometime soon. But we could probably say that six months ago and uh, and and it's still not changed. But um, the, uh, the 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 match itself, I don't think it was no different than the one that they had um, last month um, at, at the Clash, and uh, the the crowd didn't seem that they was um, into it. And same as same as last month, the only the crowds only seemed to get behind it when um, there was interaction between Robert Parker and um, and and, and Sherry. And that was when it, it just seemed to pick up, and um, obviously that was that was near the end. So the you know the match itself was was what it was. Um, and then uh, and then as I said it just uh, seemed to to pick up at the end. But, you know, I, I, I just want to go on about Alan. He, he has, you know, I've watched them for, for some time and I think they've, you know, they're a really good tag team. Um, and then I was kind of thinking before about if, uh, you know, they, you know, there was ever looking at splitting these guys up and, and, and maybe giving them, giving them a singles run. You've got Steve Ray, who's 37 at the moment and uh, who's just turned 37, should I say, and, uh, um, Booker T, who's, uh, who's 30 years. And I was just watching Booker T during this match when he was getting beat down and he was garnering some sympathy from the crowd and, um, you know, the crowd was, was, was getting behind him, wanting him to, to get that hot tag. And you could probably just see something, um, in, in this guy and, and with the age that he is. Um, you know, I think we, you know, we could probably look at having uh, having a bit of a star on our hands here. Yeah, um, you know, as I say, this is this is every tag match I, I've seen from WCW in, in in far too long. Not even just the finishes, and when you're you're quite right to point all that out, but just in terms of the way the match went, you know, the the the, the match just kind of meanders along. 
Um, there's never really, you know, we get the bit at the start, it's quite even at the start, the heels take control, and that's generally what happens with all tag matches, to be fair. And then we just get near the end, all four men get in the ring, it breaks down a bit, something happens on the outside, someone else interferes, and then we get to the finish. And it's just, you know, it, it's kind of quite disappointing, you know, we, we all see, you know, the heat's rain lasted all of 24 hours, again, they lost it on, on, on Nitro the following night. Um, but yeah, it was just, it, it was quite a, it's quite a come down, I think, in terms of, not really come down from what before, but just in terms of what, what could have been. I mean, and Buck and Slater were just awful anyway. I mean, I think Bunkhouse Buck can be quite entertaining. I think he was with Terry Funk, but I don't think Dirty Dick Slater adds a lot to anything. Um, Brian, what, what do you think of the whole, you know, you, you, you made your, uh, you made your point about the whole kissing bit, but what do you think about the, the, the Sherry and Colonel Parker segment? I think it was a, uh pretty funny, a little odd, but the fact that they were bringing it up that this is something that has a bit of a history. I've seen a couple things in my magazines related to this, so I wasn't exactly sure that was still going on. And when the match started, I didn't realize that it actually was going to come back into play because at this point she had moved away from him where she had, I guess they described it to her having some sort of amnesia and being hypnotized by Parker. Well, that, that, no, 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 the, the amnesia came, I think, at the clash or the paper. Wait, which one was it? It was, it was the clash last month. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Sherry, Sherry, Sherry does the, the splash off the top, bangs her head. And the whole point is, is that since having the amnesia, she's now madly in love with, with, with the colonel. Okay. Yeah. So whenever they came out, it, I had no idea that that was actually the, uh, the storyline behind the match that was going on and whenever it actually did occur, it kind of took me by surprise, but then I remembered seeing it in the magazine. It's like, okay, so that is what's going on. I was a little bit caught off, but the fact that it actually does carry on to the next Nitro, it's, it's pretty funny. Speaking of Mean Gene Oakland, he is at the entryway here, and Colonel Parker just about made it there. Gene, go ahead. All right, uh, Tony, I was trying to get the complete story, if I could, from referee Nick Patrick of what happened. Fuck. I want you to hear this. Look at you. You got lipstick all over your face. You love sick, man. What's wrong with you? For months now, you've been all out of sorts. Where was you when we need you? What's wrong with you, Colonel? You always talking about the grass being greener on the other side. From where I'm standing, I can't see no grass at all. You know, I, I've got to, I've got to go along with that, Colonel. Wait a minute. Let me tell you something, Buck. Listen. It may not have wised up to you yet, but I'm serious about that there, girl. And another thing, my name is Colonel Robert Parker, and I run this here outfit. Now, y'all go on to the showers. I'll get you another match. I'll see those belts back around your waist. All right, uh, there's the answer from the chairman of the board, Colonel Robert Parker. You know, I kind of have to agree with Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. I believe, Colonel, that you have been smitten by the love bug. I really do. Look, at you're disgusting. Look at that television camera. You got lipstick all over you. Look, I'm not very proud of the fact that Buck and them are not the champions anymore. You know, right now I'm kind of torn between two feelings. I feel like I'm at the bottom of the pit. I'm right down at the very bottom. But on the other hand, my heart's soaring like an eagle. I'm going to tell you something, Gene. I never felt like I felt tonight. Now, it's one thing those belts has been lost. But it's another that I feel like I'm 20 years old. I'm going to tell you one thing, Gene. I got to have that girl. 
You uh, to feel like you're 20 years old? I certainly do, and I'm going to tell you this. Buck and Dick's going to have their chance. I'm still the greatest promoter that ever walked this earth. I walk in Tom Parker's shoes. I walk heavy and hard. I'll see they get another match. After the match, Bunkhouse Buck confronts Carl Parker on the R-way, saying his head has been turned in recent months. Parker tells them to hit the showers. He then tells Oakland that he may have lost the title, but he feels like he's 20 years old tonight. We go backstage. Arn Anderson is with me, Gene Oakland. He says he's down the years. He's either been loved or hated with a passion. He says he's a nervous wreck because he's got to trade fists with someone he loves. And we've won. It's Arn Anderson versus Ric Flair. We cut to the crowd. There's a number of WCW performers in the crowd watching this match, including the American males, Brian Pillman, Alex Wright and Eddie Guerrero. Anderson does a little woo. Flair gets in his face. Anderson runs over Flair with a shoulder charge before shoving him to the ground. Flair takes refuge on the outside. Anderson starts working on Flair's left arm. Flair takes down Anderson, but Anderson reverses it into a hammerlock. He then locks in a long arm submission. But we're hearing on commentary questions why Flair never gave Anderson a title match down the years. Flair charges at Anderson but runs into an elbow. Anderson jumps off the second rope with a knee to the back. Anderson goes back to the arm. Flair manages to send Anderson to the outside and finally gains some footing in the match. Flair uses the ropes to set for some leverage pins uh, with the referee's back turned. Anderson goes to strike Flair who's begging off. The ref stops the attack but Flair gets a cheap shot in. The action spills to the outside and Flair hits a suplex on the matting. Flair then hits a big stalling suplex mid-ring and they're both out flat. Anderson asks the crowd if they want to see the DDT. They pop for that. Anderson sets it up but Flair grabs onto the ropes. Anderson flows Flair off the top, then goes for a second rope axe handle, but Flair takes him out. Flair locks in the figure four, but Anderson attempts and fails to block it. Flair spits at Anderson. Anderson rallies and tries to flip it over, then does so before Flair escapes. Flair tries for it again, but Anderson cradles him. The crowd pops big, but Flair is able to kick out. Anderson collapses mid-ring, and Brian Pillman jumps on the apron. He clips, uh, he kicks Flair in the back of the head. Anderson hits the DDT and gets the win. Wayne. This this was great. I thought um, this was my main event in my in, in my eyes. Um, everything about it, it just had the big match feel. Um, fantastic build up with uh, showing what's happened and and, and the sit down interviews and um, uh, and everything in that. So it actually you know brought a tear to my eye that I was watching these two guys go go at it. But at the same time, I was I was getting goosebumps thinking. I'm gonna see these guys at it, um, and the the you know the the match itself had, had you know it was it was an old school style classic. I thought uh, it had uh, you know really good start to it, um, you know really good psychology from Fleur where uh, from from the start where you know, it was fast action from 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 Anderson and you know he just kept rolling out and um, you know keeping the uh, the fans hot in in that sense. Um, as much as you know, I want to say as as good as as Fleur and, and Aaron Anderson was. You know, I've got to uh, set my hat off to to the commentary team as well. I thought these guys, you know, really put over these two as uh, um, as, as, as wrestlers, as, as great fans, and going at it. And I think the um, you know the, the calling of the match was 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 um, top notch. You know, I can't really uh, fault it at all. Um, you mentioned before and, and referenced it, but uh, I think you know the reference from um, I think it was Heenan that mentioned it about Ian Anderson never having uh, have a, never having a title um, shot when when Flo was champion. You know, I thought that was a, a great point and and added to the, the the dynamic of the match as well. Um, the 
the the the ending, you know, a bit screwy, but um in all honesty, if if Arn Anderson is gonna go over against uh Rick Fleur, um, you know, I think it's probably the best way to uh to do it. And not only that as well, but it obviously keeps this uh, feud going uh, a little more and um you know I wanna I wanna mention um when when we did the review uh, last month and, and me and Dell was was quite sceptical about it, you know, you know, both of us were saying as much as, you know, we can we can see it short term, we you know, I don't really see what, what the long term gain is out of it. But I'm gonna hold my hands up and, and, and say I'm probably gonna be wrong about it because throughout the match the way that the commentary team was going on about it and, and the way that you know the promo we saw from Fleur on Nitro and, and, and obviously the promo from from Ian Anderson, the impression that you're getting from them is Although they might be feuding at the moment, as soon as this feud's over, they're probably going to get back together again. So in in that sense, it's probably good for for, for what it was in that. And these two were just showing. Um, they're probably getting a bit of frustration out of there as well with with the way that the booking has gone over uh, over the course of the, the last twelve months or so, or maybe a little bit shorter than that. And they're, they're just showing that you know we're still here. We can put on a, a great showing and uh, um, and look at what we can do. Brian. I enjoyed the match. Even though I thought Johnny B. Bad versus Brian Tillman as they started this pay-per-view was slightly better, this is a strong number two for me. And just what Wayne said with the commentary, uh, the way they're attacking this whole match, Keenan was blaming Hogan on this, the entirety of this uh, whole thing even happening. He said that Flair, he's not right in the head. That Ever since Hogan showed up, Flair has lost his mind. And this is a fight between not actual brothers, but these are two men who are who are close, who are family. I mean, I grow, I've got two brothers myself, and we've had knockdown, drive down, you know, fight and screaming matches growing up, and we come together at the end of it, and that's exactly what this is. And I honestly wasn't too sure where the Pillman angle was coming out of. I, I had no idea that there's were uh, this was a thing that was going to happen, especially when you saw. Hillman, the American Males, Eddie Guerrero, Alex Wright out in the crowd watching. I thought that was a neat touch to see, like, this is an important main event matchup and to see these two guys hesitantly take it to one another. But to see Hillman at the very end show up and that's where it goes with the next Nitro caught me off guard. And honestly, I, I was a bit saddened over it. I think Flair and Arn shouldn't be fighting, but the fact that Arn actually went to such length to get his win. I don't know. It, it was a little, little disgusting. Yeah, I, I saw this as you know probably not the first chapter. Obviously, this feud has been going for a, you know, a, 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 well, depends how you want to cut it off. You could say a few weeks, could say a few months, could say you know over a decade if you want to really go back with the history of Flair and Anderson. Um, or a decade anyway. Um, but in terms of, I thought kind of the first chapter of this feud, I thought this was really good. You know, I, I, I would expect more when they finally have the end match in this feud, but as an opening match, I thought this was just about where it needed to be. The action was really good. I mean, these two are pros. I and mean, we saw it with the, with the Vader match at the Clash. It's like you've just got three veterans in the ring, or two in this case. It's like, I expect a good match because I can't see these two having a bad match. They're just so good. Um, and, uh, and that was the real classic example of it. Um, 
you know, and, and I like, I like the finish. Um, you know, one thing that what I would say about Pillman is that they've not done a lot with Pillman in the past year, but they really, really good job with him this month and kind of aligning him with Arm Anderson is hopefully a sign of things to come. And one thing we got coming out of this on Saturday nights, and you'll hear one of the pro, uh, one of the promos after we finish this review, um, it, it, it is Flair trying to recruit Sting and Sting saying no. I hope that eventually Flair picks a younger guy, perhaps a Benoit or a Guerrero, somebody like that who can kind of go toe to toe with, with Anderson, if you like. Um, so there's, there's plenty of possibilities, but the in-ring action was, was really good. Um, I think probably what you would expect, I would say. Um, we are backstage with me, Gene Oakland, and the face Wargames team. Oakland likens it to the Normandy invasion of 1945, which other than being in camo gear, I thought was a bit of a stretch. I've also got in my, say, uh, my notes that this segment did feel like it lasted an eternity. And we move on to the main event. It's War Games. The Dungeon of Doom, Kamala, the Shark, Zodiac and Meng with the Taskmaster versus the Hulkamaniacs, Hulk Hogan, Sting, Randy Savage and Lex Luger with Jimmy Hart. If the faces win, Hulk Hogan gets five minutes inside the cage with the Taskmaster. The cage gets a serious amount of pyro as it's lowered. Sting gets a great pop and there's a great visual of all four faces on the ramp slapping hands with pyro going off in the background. We start off with Sting against the Shark. The Shark gets the upper hand, walking over Sting's chest. Sting avoids it and charges in the corner. Shark retreats to the other side to recover, but Sting does his ring-to-ring shoulder charge before hitting a body slam. He goes for a second, but gives out under the weight. Shark locks in a bear hug. Sting drapes Shark across the ropes between the two rings while getting in some kicks. He goes for a crossbody, but Shark catches him. Sting goes for a scorpion deathlock. Shark starts tapping. Obviously, we can't have a finish at this stage in the match. Uh, the Zodiac enters the second man in. Sting grabs the top of the cage and unloads with some kicks. Shark comes to, and the 2-1 attack begins. Savage comes in to level it up. He unloads on Shark and Zodiac while Sting is selling. May and Kamala grab onto his arm while Sting is selling under the cage and stretch it. Kamala and Mang then drag Savage half under the cage with his leg and start attacking him. Kamala comes in as number three. Luger evens up the numbers, laying out Kamala and the Shark with a double clothesline, which whips up the crowd. Men comes out as number four and starts unloading. All seven men are in the same ring. Hoven comes in and throws some powder into each of the combatants. I, sorry. Heenan claims it must be napalm or gunpowder, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, Zodiac gets caught between the two rings and comedically bounces back and forth while being punched by Hogan. The action continues at an increasingly plodding pace. Luger at one point slaps Hogan and orders him about a bit. Hogan finally decides that he wants the match to finish, so puts the camel clutch on Zodiac, who gives up. Wayne. Um... I'm trying not to be too hard on it. I thought it was it was a good start. No, uh, I disagree. Be hard on it. Right. Okay. It was an absolute mess. It was it was a cluster f uh, to to say. Um, I just there was just too much going on. Um, Sting, you know, was probably the 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 one shining light from it from it all, uh, and that was because it was just him at the start. Um, well, it was just an absolute mess at the at the end. Um, I, I, I did like the dissension again between Luger and Savage. You know, it's uh, it's, it's making me think: are they are they going to go down a route with them? Which you know, I'm not I'm not all fair to saying no. I you know I don't want to see that. So uh, you know that that brought my uh, interest up a, a, bit, a bit more. And um, 
it's just Hogan again. I'm, I'm, I'm always saying the same thing about Hogan. The, the, the guy is, is a face. He's the champion. And, and yet again, he's, uh, he can only pull off, uh, major heel tactics, you know, this time with the, uh, um, with, with, with the powder. Well, well with, with the napalm. Oh, sorry. With, with the napalm. Um, it was much, much better reference considering it was a, it, it was a war games match. And, uh, yeah, well, well done to, uh, Bobby Heenan with, uh, with, with, with that great one liner. Um, but yeah, it just, I just didn't like this at all. Brian. <laughs> I'm going to agree with Wayne. It was a complete another mess with Sting just being the highlight. The very beginning, he did this running dive from one ring to the second to tackle Shark. And that was amazing. That was pretty athletic, pretty phenomenal. Then Shark tries to do this similar thing where he gets caught between the ropes of the first ring and second ring. He kind of gets hung up there. Sting comes back into the middle, starts kicking him. To me, that's the actual highlight of the match for me. Um, everything else, just all over the place. I guess the Hulkamaniacs weren't exactly running 100% as a four-man army. They were all in with their own plans, their own agendas. They were definitely not a, a cohesive unit as the Dungeon of Doom. And another thing I want to point out, everyone in this match has face paint of some kind. Even Ming has his, paint, his face painted up. All the Hulkamaniacs have some kind of camouflage on them, so I, I thought that was pretty odd, little thing to point out. And at the very end, with Hogan coming in to get the win, it's just, it was awful. It's definitely not a highlight. It's a pretty boring and mess, a chaotic mess, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I will say for regular listeners what, what, what could end up becoming my annual rant about just the general format of war games, but to say what I've said before and to continue what I've said before, I don't like the war games format. Uh, this is the third war games match we've seen at Full Brawl in the last three years. I think they've all been really boring. Um, this was, this was no exception. Uh, Brian, you're right. The highlight of this match was Sting and the Shark. One, because, and, and one, I think one of the bigger weaknesses with, with, with the war games format is that once you've got two in the ring in the ring it's very difficult to follow while it was just those two in the ring and one thing that Sting and the Shark have got as we saw at the kind of the turn of the year they've got quite good in ring chemistry these two they've worked before Sting is very good working against bigger guys and the Shark is not awful enough to the point where he can't carry a guy like Sting to some decent in-ring action. But once we started getting men in the ring, it was just, it was so predictable and just, it just sucked. I mean, I, I was sat there watching the match and I said out loud to myself, because I like talking to myself, I said, I know how it's going to go down. I pretty much called the order of entrance. I think I got Meng and, and, and Kamala the wrong way around. Um, but nothing happens. You're just waiting for a finish, waiting for a finish. We get all four men in the ring and it's just there you know, there's there's not really enough action going on. And as I put in my notes, eventually Hogan just decides he wants the match to end, puts Zodiac in the camel clutch, and there's no heels to come and help him out, and that's the end of the match. And it's just... And Brian, there, there must be good editions of War Games in the past, because I've seen three now, and they've all sucked. If you really want to get into the good war games, you need to go back to the NWA era of WCW, to be perfectly honest with you. This is definitely a low, a low level match compared to some of the classic you've seen in the 80s, but I mean, this is tradition. This is fall brawl. The fall brawl war games is 
like you said, three-year running tradition, and it's going to continue, I guess. Wayne, is this is nothing new, but is Hogan turning heel? Because, we, we, as we've seen before, I mean, and nothing about his character outside of matches is, is in any way a heel. But in the ring, we, we got the bit at Nitro, uh, on the first Nitro, where, you know, after grabbing... Um, Jimmy Hart's jacket off of Big Bubba, Hogan starts attacking Big Bubba with the jacket, and Jimmy Hart, as any heel manager does, jumps on the apron and starts distracting the ref so Hogan can attack him. And then in this one, Wayne, Hogan jumps in the ring with, with well, what we presume was powder rather than napalm, and just starts throwing it in the eyes of the Dungeon of Doom, which is a heel move. Like, I, I don't, like, Hogan isn't remotely likable at the moment. No, I mean we've we've said it on pretty much every uh, you know every review we've we've done, um, even the ones I've I've not been you know I've not been on and and I've listened to, and you know the other guests that you've had on said exactly the same thing. Every everyone you know is pretty much confused with with him. It's like if someone never watched wrestling before, understood the dynamics of a, of a heel and a face, and then. They, they turned it on and 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 they watched a, a Hogan match. I could I could pretty much guarantee that they would assume that he was a heel. Which why are you giving that impression? But it it, it seems like there's no other way that Hogan can wrestle. He, he obviously we've we've seen it in in the WWF days. You know, he's, the bat rake. He's he's always had this uh, um, you know these these heel moves in in his locker and. You know, it can it's just can come across rather confusing if uh, if if you're trying to get behind the guy, right? Even though he does come across as a heel, I'd like to point out that every one of these shows of, I've watched of September at WCW, the number one merchandise item you see far beyond everyone else is the Hulk Hogan tearaway shirts. You look out into the crowd, you see just a sea of these things from every single camera angle. So. Even if the guys uh, might be a little bit on the line, it might be actually crossing the line. In this case, you might be able to argue that all's fair in love and war, and this is a war games. But at the same time, it seems like the crowd is still behind them. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I, I I don't know. It just seems a bit odd. But 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 there we go. Anyway, after the match, Taskmaster makes a beeline up the aisle. Way obviously, you know, Hogan, the babyface is winning the match. Hogan now gets five minutes in the ring with the Taskmaster. Doug Dillinger stands on the aisle way and holds him back. Uh, we then get back into the ring. It's well, effects. I'm calling it a match. Uh, Hulk Hogan versus the Taskmaster. Hogan slams Taskmaster's head off the cage multiple times. Hogan hits the big boot on Taskmaster and out comes the giant. He bunny hops over the ropes, then locks in a nerve hold. Hogan fights out, but the, the giant chokes him out before snapping his head to one side. The heels are off and the rest of the babyfaces come out to Hogan's aid, who's laid down in the middle of the ring. Michael Buffer calls for a power to come to ringside. Uh, Brian, what do you think of this, this show closing angle? <laughs> what did I think? Uh, wow. Hogan gets his neck snapped. He gets murdered live on television. I, at least he didn't pop straight back up. At yeah, least okay, okay. that that's a thing. He didn't get right back up. He didn't hook up and throw the giant around the cage and you know leave as the. Oh, that that would have been this. spectacular. I, I I'd have loved to have seen that ending. But the man gets murdered on television, and then. We'll see him, I guess, in two weeks with a neck brace. Yeah. 
pretty much. All right. pretty much. Yeah. Wayne? Yay! Hogan did some selling for once. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, yeah. It, was... it, it only took the giant fake murdering him for Hope to think, actually, I might need to stay down for this one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, so he did well with that one. Um, but they're, um, they're, you know, they're, they're certainly behind the giant in, in pushing him, aren't they? It's, uh, but then again, I suppose you, you you've got to do that to to be fed to Hogan in the uh, in 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 the end game, haven't you? So uh, um, yeah, it served a purpose. Uh, obviously, with the with the ridiculous part where he uh, where he where he snapped his neck, everything else from that, I think it uh, I think it you know did a good job of uh, of uh, of setting up what's uh, what's going to come. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I'll give them that. I, I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to the giant in a bit once we get onto our kind of rest of nitro discussion. Um, but I, I thought they'd done a pretty good job with with the giant. Certainly this month they kind of yeah, ratcheted up his kind of accelerated push, and this was really the first time we saw him in, in not not in a match, but in kind of in ring combat. Um, and he looks effective, you know, for for a guy that tall standing alongside Hogan and, and kind of dominating him height wise. Looks in very good shape, quite athletic. Um, and the, the head snap thing was quite effective, as Brian alluded to. We, we, we do get it does give Hogan rather a convenient excuse to be off TV for the next couple of weeks, but you know, like like, like he needs that. Um, so that kind of put him in a neck brace. But no, I, I, I'll give them this. I, I thought it was quite an effective way to end, end the show and quite a quite a, a you know quite a good way to you know as we said continue to build the giant. Uh, Wayne, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of ten. Um, yeah, like I said, I think it was. Um, it's not one of the shows that I'm 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 gonna go out of my way to to watch, but uh, I, I think it uh, it was one of the better ones that I've uh, that I've seen over uh, over the last six to to eight months um, doing the um, uh, do, 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 doing the reviews. Um, I'm probably gonna well, not probably. I'm gonna give it a, a strong six, or I'm. Just thinking back from from the discussions that we've had, um, obviously doing the review on on the Iron Anderson, um, I, I probably would have given it a seven um, if it wasn't for the for, for you know the ridiculous uh, um, cluster um, of of a match of, of the War Games and, and the really short match of the of the Craig Pittman. So strong six. Brian, your overall thoughts on a score rating out of ten. Uh, basically, I'm pretty much going to say exactly what Wayne just said. There's a lot on the show that it's just it's middling. There's some lot more low points as opposed to high points. And bad versus Pillman at the start, that to me is the best thing you'll see on the show. Flair versus Arn, they, these two matches help make the actual show itself because the main event was so poor. So instead of giving it a six, I'll just give it a five out of ten. I mean, there, those two things are the only huge takeaways from the pay-per-view beyond the giant murdering Hogan. Yeah, I, I gave it a six and a half. Um, yeah, as you say, the, the, the two big matches delivered, uh, sorry, well, the, the, the two good matches delivered, sorry, which is, you know, obviously by the by. Um, so yeah, that, those were big positives. There were negatives as, as we spoke about the tag match, you know, the, the, the main event. Um, but I think the booking dragged the show up a little bit as well. Um, uh, we got the tag titles off Buck and Slater. We got the TV title off of Renegade. Uh, and we came out with the, the giant, um, looking dominant. We got Brian Pillman into a big program. Um, 
booking wise, they got this show around and about right, which is not something you can always say about WCW shows. Um, you know, the Cobra thing was clever and short, uh, and the pacing of this show was was, was pretty good. So, you know, for, for all the negatives, a couple of good matches, some strong booking, uh, a weak main event, a mixed bag of a show, but uh, but but an odd one. Um, but yeah, I, I think six and a half is a, is a fair result. For you as United States heavyweight champ. I'm feeling good as usual, Mean Gene. Come on, let's get this thing rolling. What do you want to talk? Well, let's talk about what people are asking me about. And that, I guess that's this man that ain't your boy, Ric Flair. What in the world? What? Not again. I said not again. Thing. One more time. I will walk before the wrestling world. And I will say to you, you are the only man in this sport that I hold in the same esteem as I hold myself in. That means I consider you the best thing going today. I'm asking you to be my partner. Now, brother, look at my eye. Things have escalated, buddy. It's on. You keep your mouth shut, punk. I'll come over and slap you. I'm talking to Sting. I am through playing games. I am telling you, Ric Flair to Sting, you're the only man I'll take as a partner. Arn Anderson has walked his own course in life. Brian Pillman needs to be taught a lesson, and I want you to high-five me in front of this whole world, brother. Let's make him smoke. Let's make him push. Come on, brother. Come on, Put it up. You say you hold me, the stinger, in the same esteem as yourself. I take that as a tremendous, tremendous put-down. No! Adios, buddy. I think he's made it perfectly clear. He doesn't want anything to do with you, Flair. Sting. Sting. Think this out. This could change the course of history. Ric Flair and Sting side by side. Reunited. You and me. You and me. And believe me, brother, there's nothing wrong with styling and profiling. Nothing wrong. Very quickly. There's nothing wrong with limousine riding and jet flying. Gentlemen, we're, we're going to have to go. When it comes to you to nature, boy, okay, there ain't nothing like limousine riding and high flying and profiling. Oh, yeah, get into it. Get into it, nature boy. <laughs> there ain't no chance. And for those fans of our TV reviews, they're going to be in for a treat here. This is a long one. We start with WCW Monday Nitro on September the 18th with Mean Gene Oakland outside the back of an ambulance. Out climb the Taskmaster and the Giant. He says there is one true immortal. The Giant says his, his father, Andre the Giant, was still alive. He'd be right beside him in his mission to destroy Hulkamania. Before a match with the American Males, Harlem Heat come out and attack the Blue Bloods. Well, Lord Robert Eaton anyway, Regal's not there. The Heat replace the Blue Bloods in the match and then offer the American Males a tag title shot. 
For what it's worth, Eric Bischoff mentions Nick Bockwinkle, who hasn't been on TV in months. Colonel Parker comes out, kisses Sherry and carries her away. Shockingly, the Heat then lost the title, having offered them up in the first place. Marcus Bagwell and Scotty Riggs are your new tag team champions for those keeping score. That's Bagwell's fourth different WCW tag title reign with his third partner, having won them previously with Two Cold Scorpio and The Patriot. Ric Flair does an in-ring promo, says Arn Anderson has broken the code twice by bringing his family into it, then bringing an outsider into it with Brian Pillman. Paul Orndorff is out as Mr. Wonderful. He's dropped the Orndorff part of his name completely. He's out to new operatic music and is looking at himself constantly in the mirror. He defeated Johnny Bad by roll-up. We cut to the set of Baywatch. Randy Savage is lifting weights, cheered on by lifeguards. That is until the Taskmaster runs out and starts attacking him. Ric Flair comes up and breaks it up. Returning to the now, Randy Savage does an in-ring interview with Oakland, so he doesn't want Flair's help. Savage lays down the challenge to the Taskmaster before predicting that next time they face the Dungeon of Doom, they will have Lex Luger, Sting and Jimmy Hart in their corner. Luger comes out and confronts him. He says that Savage accuses other people of having an agenda, but if Savage wants to be the world champion, then he has an agenda of his own. The segment ends with Savage wanting a fight. He slaps Luger in the face, but Luger isn't having any of it. In the main event, Ric Flair defeated Brian Pillman by submission with a figure four leg lock. After the match, Flair calls out Arn Anderson. On to the 23rd of September edition of WCW Saturday Night. Sting faces Lord Stephen Regal. L. Robert comes out, Ric Flair pushes him off the turnbuckle, and Sting ends up winning. Flair pleads with Sting after the match, seemingly wanting him to be his partner in the fight against Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. Sting says he doesn't trust Flair. Flair says Sting is the only man he respects enough to ask to be his partner. Sting says no, so Flair gets on his knees and begs. Sting says no again. Flair gets back on his knees. Sting tells him to stand up like a man. Finally says no, and Flair isn't happy. Tony Cicciovanni conducts a sit-down interview with Dusty Rhodes. He'll be joining the Saturday night team as co-host. Johnny Bad defeats Chris Canyon in a squash during a post-match interview Darwin Dallas Page intermuts Bad. Despite being television champion, DDP wants the US title as well. Bad promises Page that he will give him a title shot if he can beat Sting for the US title. Diamond Doll, happy at the news, then suggests that Page gets into the gym to go and prepare. DDP isn't happy with this. We get a sit-down interview with Lex Luger, who says controversy seems to follow him around. Luger says that supposed cheap shot full brawl to Savage was an accident. We get the rematch between Cobra and Pittman from the pay-per-view. Cobra pulls Pittman's trick by coming out from underneath the ring as a sneak attack and wins with a Cobra slam. The show closes with an interview with Hulk Hogan sporting a neck brace, but somewhat preposterously still dressed in his wrestling gear. Hogan references the rag sheets, suggesting Hogan should change career direction. Hogan says he's going to build his own monster truck to combat the Dungeon of Doom one. On to September 25th for WCW Monday Nitro, we open with a clash, adventures theme, as Alex Wright defeats Disco Inferno by backslide. We cut backstage to another Hogan pre-tape wearing a neck brace, doing phony lifts with Jimmy Hart holding the title belt on the back of his head. Hogan says that once he beats him in Detroit and slams him down, he will be quote-unquote laid to rest alongside his father, referring to the giant being the son of Andre the Giant. The Savage is in the ring, laying down the challenge to Luger, who runs out to answer it. Luger says Savage doesn't respect him. Luger challenges him to a match on Nitro next week. Luger puts his title shot on the line, then puts his WCW career on the line, saying if he loses, he will leave the company. More great background leg kick calling from Eric Bischoff as Kurosawa faces against, off against Sergeant Craig Pittman. Kurosawa wins with a bridging pin. 
We get an in-ring promo with Pillman and Arn Anderson. Pillman says Flair has reached an all-time low. Anderson says Flair has run out of options and that having spent the last 10 years being the backup for Flair's plays, what goes around has finally come around. Savage and the Taskmaster main event ends in a DQ when Zodiac interferes. Savage goes for a top rope elbow. Taskmaster moves, but Zodiac eats the move. The Giant comes out and attacks Savage, hitting a big choke slam. Some jobbers come out and eat some choke slams too. Alex Wright comes out but gets caught in a big bear hug. Then out comes Luger. Luger stands over Savage and the Giant just choke slams him as well. Meng comes out for his scheduled match with Luger and beats him up while he's still recovering. Meng eventually beats Luger with a spike. And Dean Malenko's image appears in the closing moments previewing next week's show, but Eric Bischoff talks right through it and doesn't mention it. We end the month on Saturday the 30th September for WCW Saturday Night. They introduce Dusty Rhodes as the new co-host. As a way of pivoting Heenan off of the show, Heenan tells Dusty to go, but he doesn't, so Heenan leaves. Heenan then repeatedly offers them both a chance to apologise, but they don't. Sting comes out for his title match against John B. Bad. They say Bad hasn't arrived yet, so they will do the match later in the show. Brian Pillman comes out and brags that Bad couldn't handle going to the limit with him. Pillman is on hand when Bad doesn't show up for a second time shortly afterwards. This time he says he wants a title shot. During an Arn Anderson squash match, they announce that Anderson will face Ric Flair on Nitro on Monday. Add that to Luger vs Savage to start off a bumper edition of Nitro for the first show in October. Sergeant Craig Pittman goes 2-1 over the Cobra with a roll-up pin. We also see a preview video with a sit-down interview with Dean Malenko. Malenko mentions Guerrero being his biggest opponent of the past couple of years and that he's looking forward to continuing it in front of a bigger audience. Later in the show, we get a sit-down interview with Eddie Guerrero chronicling his past. BK Wall Street gets involved in a match between Big Bubba and Jim Duggan, helping Duggan win the match. In the end, we get Sting versus Brian Pillman for the United States title. Sting wins with a power slam. Flair confronts Sting again, asks him again if he'll be his partner against Anderson and Pillman. Sting rejects him again. Flair again retaliates. Sting again says no. Flair isn't pleased. Flair ends the interview by ushering a woman on screen. He says, quote, let's take off. And they do. Johnny Bad arrives at the end of the show. Karen is back. He's a bit late. He says he has car trouble on the biggest day of his professional career. Darwin Dallas Page comes out and says that only a chump, miss, only a chump misses the title shot. Oakland asks Max Muscle for comment, who lets out a bit too much information about Bad's flat tyre, implying that they caused his tyre troubles. Bad nails DDP with a big right as we go off the air for September. Ladies and gentlemen, you won't believe who just walked through the door trying to be bad. Come on in. Here was the man that earlier tonight missed his opportunity to meet Sting for the United States title. This my was the son- worst day of my entire life. Dean, I had car trouble. I had a flat tire on the biggest day of my professional career. I have a flat tire? Wait a minute. If you had a flat tire, you could have at least given us a telephone Gee, call, John. Don't you think if I had a phone, I would have called somebody? Hey, hey mate. What are you are, You are so stupid. How could you be so stupid to miss your shot at the WCW US Championship belt? I mean, I should have got the shot anyway. I'm a world champion. I'm a television world champion. It should have been mine. Wait a minute, Paige. <laughs> Here's the man that earned the right to meet Sting for the U.S. title. He beat Brian Brian oh, Pillman at Fall Brawl. Johnny, this is misfortune. Do you think I would have missed this match and have an opportunity to prove to Sting who could be the next U.S. champion? Zeros don't become champions. Guys like Diamond Dallas Page become champions. <laughs> now, Max Muscle, what do you have to say about it? 
Yeah, it is pretty tough getting here with four flat tires, ain't it, Dallas? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Oh, oh. Wait, how did you know it was four flat tires? I said eight flat tires! Oh, no! What a punch! What a punch! All right, we will move on. We're going to discuss kind of some of the bigger points coming out of Nitro or certainly the the other Nitros for the rest of the month. We're not, obviously not going to be doing a, a review of every Nitro show. I've got better things to do, really. Um, but um, let's start with... Um, right, WCW blowing through a, a massive amount of big matches on Nitro. I mean, uh, the, 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 next, the, the first Nitro of next month is... It's Randy Savage against Lex Luger and Ric Flair against Arn Anderson. It's nuts. I think it's a good thing. I think at this point you're starting off strong. You're trying to capture an audience that maybe isn't aware of you as much as they are with the World Wrestling Federation. So they go through and have these main event matches compared to the other show. I think it's a good way to start off your program. It's a good way to get your audience hooked in early to let them know, like, this is where, quote-unquote, the big boys play, and that's where you want to be every Monday. Why? Yeah, um, long run, you know, you, you you don't want to be given all these big matches because, um, you know, you, you, you give them all away on, on free TV, then your pay-per-view uh, buy rates are, are certainly going to be affected by it. Uh, but for the moment, you know, they've, they've brought the going head-to-head with, with WWF, um, you know, they, they, they want to put as, as, as many eyes on the product as they can. Um, and, you know, you've got one factor of, uh, of obviously making it must-see with, with anything can happen. But the other thing that you, that you need as well is, is you need these big matches, um, to, to obviously pull all these, um, pull up, pull all these viewers away and, and get, and get them on your product. So, uh, for short term, yeah, I'm, I'm all behind it. I can, I can see where they're coming from. But long term is, uh, as soon as they've, they've got the viewership of, what they're looking for and, and, and that market, then they really do need to start the uh, you know the proper planning of, uh, of of what they're going to be doing next. Yeah, I mean, because I remember watching the segment. I think it was for, uh, for for Savage and Luger, and they kind of had the confrontation in ring. Oh, I think it's on the final Nitro. Everything. Oh, Halloween Havoc match, and I, I presume we're going to get that match for Halloween Havoc. Yeah, you know, there is there is enough time to pivot away from Savage and Luger into something else. Um, but, you know, it, it just felt like, whoa, okay, you know, Luger and Hogan, it makes sense, but, like, that's a big match, first time out, um, and, of course, that ended in a, in a screwy finish. And Wayne, there, there is, well, I suppose the other danger, I think it's going to be the knock-on effect, really. Um, as much as they're going to advertise these big matches, it's very, it's inconceivable to me that they're going to deliver many results on them. We've, we, we've seen that from, from WCW and WWF television in the past, that whenever somebody, whenever they do a big match on TV, it doesn't end cleanly, which I guess to a point is fair enough. But when is there a, is there a concern over diminishing returns in terms of, at some point you're going to shout, Hulk Hogan against Randy Savage on Nitro and everyone's going to go, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Is, is there that concern as well? On, on for the for, for the TV shows, you mean? Yeah. Um, well, well, I guess yeah. I guess and for the pay per views as well. You know, if you're gonna the, the opposite fact is either the fans are gonna stop believing it or they'll start believing it and then they'll start going as you say. Why do I need to buy the pay per view? Yeah, I, I, and that, and that's what I was saying before. I think short term. 
it, it can only be a, sh- a short-term plan. You know, you can't do this uh, long-term. It's, it's not going to work. Like you said, you know, you're going to come to a point where a, your pay-per-views are, uh, are not as high as, as what they once were or not as high as, as what you want. Um, and, um, and B, you're going to get people turning around saying, well, I've, I've seen this match before. I'm, I'm not really behind it because you're just giving, a, giving them away uh, um, all, all the time. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's only going to work if it's, uh, if it's, if it's short term only. Um, Brian, I think, I think one, of, one of the biggest news stories of this month, really, uh, was quite, well, it was quite a throwaway line, but you know, a fairly insignificant line during a, a, a steam match against VK Wall Street of all people. God, what a segment that was. Um, Eric Bischoff. Brian, spoiling the results of Raw matches, that's that's a big step. Yeah, and to be honest, I'm not too sure how I feel about that. I'm actually a WCW fan more than a WWF fan, but I do rent those tapes as well, and I try to keep up with it, but I I don't really bother about buying those magazines. So it was interesting that that's the length that Eric Bischoff wants to go with this quote-unquote war. But he even said the same thing later on. I, I can't remember what match it was. I think it was the uh, maybe Luger and Hogan where he flat out says their world champion only managed to reach a mid-level status here in WCW. And it is it is kind of gross, but at the same time, like I'm actually cheering him on for it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a way of making a noise. It's a way of, I don't know, I... Uh, I, I don't know in the sense that, that, that there are two different ways of looking at it. You know, one is the sense that, you know, the, the, the aspect they want, which is they want to present themselves of, uh, uh, as being the cool place and being the place where, you know, all the big wrestlers are and all the action happens. And so to tell people watching what happens in the other show, uh, you, one, you can, you can own, you can own the way you present that if you choose to present it at all. And two, you tell them, look, this is what happens. Now you know the result. You don't need to see it. Stay with us. We're live. We're unpredictable. Fair enough. But equally, there's the way of, there's the way of thinking it that says, well, what it comes across as quite crass and quite, you know, lowbrow. And, and two, Wayne, there's also the sense that, yeah, what a way to remind people rules on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't agree with it at all. Um, I think it's just cheap underhand tactics. Um, why, as much as you focus on the competition and try to be different, but when you're, um, you know, when you when you when you're pulling tricks like that, it just comes across that you that that. You know that you're probably running scared, um, in in a sense. It's uh, just, I think, you know, just just talking about the, uh, you know, the the the, the other show and, and giving results away like that. Um, I'm, I just, there's no fair game in in television. You know, it's competition. I, I understand that, and you know, I could, I could, to the lesser extent, see where where Bischoff is coming from. You know, he's got this new show and he, he's trying to make it as as big as possible and uh, and, and make the best impression as as he can. But um, with the way he's going about it, just win win fairly <laughs> and not and not with uh, cheap cheap wins. But then again, what? it's WCW and and they like the uh, the cheap wins, don't they? So they they certainly do. Wayne, what do you think of VK Wall Street? Well. <laughs> Again, this is another one that, that, that confuses me. It's like, 
you've you, you you're trying to you're trying to be different. Yeah, they've they've got some WWF guys in there at the moment, but you try to be different. And then you know you you bring in you bring in a guy like IRS. You know he was he he wasn't pulling any punches up in in the WWF. He was he was he was no further than than the mid card level. And you know you could probably say that he wasn't even at uh, at that level. And then bringing him in and and. Uh, uh, Again, just just putting him on there. I, I obviously, you know, just don't see why they would uh, why they would obviously be putting this guy on TV. Uh, and as I'm talking, I'm probably realising that you're actually on about the VK reference and not him as a as an actual character. Well, well both, both, fair enough. Right. No, uh, yeah, no, Carol. Um, well, in in that sense, the the actual VK part, VK part of it is uh, is 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 again is just <laughs> Eric Bischoff pulling the punches and uh, and saying that everything's fair in, in, in Love and War. Oh, I thought one of the best moments of the month was was VK Wall Street walks out and Eric Bischoff goes, "So Bobby, why is he called VK Wall Street?" It's like, well, <laughs> What the hell do you want Heenan to say in response to that? He just thought, well, I don't know. Um, uh, Brian, I mean, you know, they, they've brought him in. You know, yeah, I mean, look, Michael Wall Street is a name that he used in WCW Pass. So it's not like it's a it's a complete left turn, but it, it, it's Mike Rotunda. It's like the the you know, it, it's signing a guy just to. For the sake of signing a guy, isn't it? And, and then the whole thing with, you know, the, the new generation is the few generation, and I'm sure IRS will be watching all these kind of, you know, little underhand references or kind of, you know, uh, back, back, um, insider references even. Um, but, but it, it's still micro tunda. See, I, I like how they do these winks and these nods to this character. Like, hey, you know, this is the guy from the WWF. Yeah, he is not a Lex Luger name, but yet, He's still a guy on the other television that you would recognize. So they do these, you know, little knowing nods. This is a thing. Hey, look at this. We're kind of funny. Look how, you know, cheeky we are. But at the same time, they'll flat out just mention the WWF in their commentary. So it's a really bizarre thing. At one point, Mongo calls the WWF the Bush Leagues during Wall Street's match against Sting. So it's, it's, it's odd. I, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know if he's a huge primetime player when it comes to World Championship Wrestling, but, I mean, there he is, and I guess this is going to be a thing going forward. We're going to see what happens next with him and uh, whoever else they can grab, I guess. Yeah, um, we, we, we did largely discuss it, but, but I, I did want to kind of bring it up again. All right, Wayne, the, um, the, the pacing of the Nitros for the rest of the month did not slow down. If anything, it got a bit quicker. Uh, it, yeah. it is, is that a, I mean, cause m- one of my thoughts was, wow, this is a, like a really intense show and compared to Raw's and Saturday nights, when you, you want to go back, say, a year, 18 months, it's, it's, it's the complete antithesis of what, what Saturday night was a year ago. Um, it, it, are there any long-term negatives to this kind of strategy? Cause I, I think a month in, it's been really good. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's the thing at the, at the minute. I don't think there, there is any long-term strategy. As we've, we mentioned, uh, before about the, uh, you know, the, the, the big matches that they're giving away on TV. I think it's just all about just do everything as, as much as we can, um, make it as, as fast-paced as we can, um, just make this as the, the most exciting TV show that we can get out there and, and get as many eyes on, uh, on, on this TV show rather than, uh, than obviously the WWE. Um, 
I, I think that they, they could probably look at maybe slowing it down a, a little bit, um, getting, you know, getting, getting a few more promos in there, a bit, bit lengthy promos, um, and, uh, and, and obviously breaking it up in that sense. But, you know, I'm, I'm, again, maybe I'm being a bit too picky and negative about it because, um, you know, what, you know, it's, it, it has been really, really exciting to watch. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in your camp though, Bob. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Brian, anything more to add on that? No, not really. I mean, I enjoy what they're doing. And like you said earlier, they do have these high level main events, but they ended up getting something to ruin it, basically. You don't get a clean finish. You get a Dungeon of Doom run in, or you get just something else happening that causes it all to be called off. So you're not exactly getting full payoffs for this fast-paced, high-level main event. Um, I guess one of the highlights I'd like to point out is the Sabu match, where here's this guy that, I mean, if you do read your magazines, you know that he's an ECW guy. Here he is. And World Championship Wrestling, and he's reckless. He's throwing Alex right around, and does it finishes the match with this uh, roll up off the top rope, gets right, but then the match is immediately reversed because right put on top of the table. It's a boot crashes through him, and I guess Nick Patrick thought this is too far, so you get the reverse finish. So to have a match to start off right off the bat, this is what you're looking at. This is this crash course wrestler throwing his body around, going crazy. I, I was into it. Uh, one final discussion point on, on the Nitro front uh, is the Giant. Now, obviously, we spoke a bit about the Giant and how he came off at the end of the pay-per-view. Um, but, Brian, I, I thought a really, really good segment. I think it was the final Nitro of the month where we've got Savage against Taskmaster. Giant gets involved, starts attacking Savage. Out comes some jobbers. Giant lays lays out the jobbers with these big choke slams. Out come Alex Wright, who gets a big bear hug. Out comes Lex Luger. He gets choke slam, which I thought was quite significant and kind of quite reminiscent. For, for our ECW kind of fans and people listening to those shows of, of these 911 post-match chokeslam kind of frenzies. Um, but Brian, I mean, I, I guess we can arm and eye about whether they should have perhaps you know, exposed Luger like that, but I, I thought they did a tremendous job with the Giant in building him in that segment um, for Hogan next month. Plus, there's the little added extra bonus of whenever Luger comes out, he doesn't actually face the giant. He actually walks up and stands over Savage and starts jawing at him while Savage is completely knocked out. That's when the giant actually attacks him. So there does seem to be a, a, an actual hit towards maybe Luger's part of the Dungeon of Doom. They pretty much have flat out stated that that's what Savage believes. Hogan eventually thinks that, you know, Luger's okay, but there is that bit of doubt in this whole setup. Uh, why, why, would, why would Giant slam, Chuck Slam Luger if he was part of the Dungeon of Doom? Well, I guess it's. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it's obvious that maybe that. Maybe, maybe it's the Taskmaster. Maybe that they have plans with them. I mean, we saw it happen earlier. Whenever there is a. Oh, what was the match? The, with the Dungeon of Doom come in against Scott Norton. And Scott Norton faces off against the Dungeon of Doom. And it's obvious that Norton has five guys on him. But Taskmaster kind of pats them on. Uh, pats giant and calls off his attack and they leave him be. So it's obvious that Dungeon and Doom are being controlled by Taskmaster and I don't know, maybe maybe he's got something going on with Luger on the side. Why? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they, um, they did a tremendous job of, uh, of putting the giant over. They, they make him look like such a monster um, and 
like when we covered the uh, the Dungeon of Doom in, in the first formation and, and we did that uh, lengthy discussion about him, he is the kind of um, uh, character that you would expect in a, um, in a in a stable like that. You know, forget the Zodiac, forget the Shark, um, Meng, um, and um, uh, Meng Kamala. and the Jacket. No, no, well, did Kamala I'd, I'd, I'd put in the same uh, same bracket as uh, as Zodiac and uh, oh, I see, right. Jack. But uh, you know, these are the kind of guys that you want in a, a stable like this Dungeon of Zoom, just Doom, uh, just full of monsters. Um, so Meng being one of them, and uh, and obviously yeah, the the giant being the other. I, I, you know, I just think they did a great job in in making him look like an absolute monster um, in in that segment. Um, but. The, the the way I look at it is as much as I'm um you know I'm thinking getting behind the feud and and and, and getting behind uh, uh, the, the not getting behind the giant as a heel but obviously seeing um what what they're doing with him and and, and how much they're, they're, they're putting this guy over all I'm just thinking in the back of my mind is you know I'm not once bit and twice shy I'm I'm about 25th bit and 26th shy with the fact that all they're doing is is just building up as as much as possible and then what's going to happen and he's, he's just going to get fed to Hogan. And that's the only reservation that I've got in the back of my mind, and, and that's the only thing I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll, we'll see what happens with Giant next month if he gets Hogan. We, we, we've gone long enough without speculating on that. But I think in terms of what they did on on, on that fight, I thought that angle was really good. As I say, re- reminiscent of what they would do with 911. Um, but obviously 911 ECW is a face, uh, and Giant here's a heel. I don't know that I'd have had him choke slam Luger. I think for all of the kudos he got from choke slamming Luger, I, I, I think they perhaps may have been slightly better off. If the whole point with Savage and Luger is, you know, can we trust Luger? I don't know. Uh, maybe the better thing would have been, you know, um, Giant goes to attack Luger and Taskmaster calls him off, Brian, as you kind of alluded to. Um, but yeah, no, really effective angle and a really good way to, to build him up. And I think the less said about the monster trucks, the better. Can I just uh, <laughs> say one, one thing, Bob? Um, Go on. We, 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 we're still referencing Dungeon of Doom, so I'm not going off a two side trap. But um, one of the things Brian just uh, um, obviously put in our minds is, um, you know, Lex Luger being paid off by the Dungeon of Doom or, or whatever. But um, I certainly think the, the referees are. Um, uh, are being paired off by the Dungeon of Doom, and considering that we're not covering the second show of Nitro, I just wanted to uh, just mention how ridiculous was that Scott Norton ending with uh, with Shark uh, pretty much just lying on his legs, and and then Savage getting the elbow drop and the pin. I just don't understand what. How can that not be classed as anything other than than a DQ? I I wouldn't spend any time trying to analyse you know try to overanalyze the end of WCW match finishes for you know just for, for, for my own mental health uh, I, I feel like to, to analyse any more than we already do I think would be uh, would be excessive yeah act of God he collapsed on Norton's legs it's just one of those things that happens it's just you gotta roll with it right yes yeah, well the, the, the thing that made me laugh about it all is that the, the, uh, I think it was Bobby Heenan that was obviously making out that Shark was knocked out. Um, and, you know, he, he, he was left right on the floor. He wasn't moving. You know, you could probably say he was knocked out. And then Savage got the three count. And soon as he was on three, Shark just got up. 
it was like, oh, have you just miraculously come round that quick, have you? But then again, we've we've seen things in the past, haven't we, Bob, with uh, um, savage uh, elbow drops and people getting up rather suddenly, haven't we? So. Oh well, we we all know the recuperative healing powers of the savage elbow drop. You don't have to go back to the uh, the clash in January where 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 Savage revived Hogan with an elbow drop, which is. Uh, which is something else. Anyway, we will move on to our final discussion point of the month. Lex Luger. On September 3rd, 1995, Lex Luger worked a house show for the WWF in Quebec, teaming with Shawn Michaels to defeat Owen Hart and Yokozuna by disqualification. Less than 24 hours later, he walked out on the debut edition of WCW Monday Nitro. Some people are saying that Vince McMahon's first knowledge of Luger's debut may have been when it happened, so far out of the loop was he. Despite spending much of the last year treading water, Luger's final fortnight in the WWF actually saw a renewed interest in giving him a push. During television tapings at the end of August, he was heavily involved, including working the television main event of the Superstar show scheduled for September 9th with King Mabel. He won by DQ after being left laying by Men on a Mission and Davy Boy Smith. Not surprisingly, the angle didn't air. Stories over Luger's contract are conflicting, but it's said that Luger actually handed in the 90-day notice period in his contract earlier this year, potentially before the summer. When the 90 days expired and the contract effectively ran out, he simply started working on a verbal agreement, with him and Vince McMahon both expecting that a contract agreement would eventually be reached. Luger had initially had talks with WCW at the beginning of August. The offer at the time was $1,000 per night with no guarantee of dates. There were further issues with Luger not wanting to come into the company and job to Hulk Hogan. At the time Luger went to negotiate with WCW, McMahon downplayed his involvement in storylines, hence why he and Bulldog didn't team up at SummerSlam and the team was disbanded. Once talks with WCW broke down, McMahon plugged Luger back in, ironically and probably the biggest storyline he was in since WrestleMania 10. The story, it seemed, had ended. Then, Vader got into a fight with Paul Orndorff. We will detail that story later in the show, but with Vader now suspended, WCW were missing a key hole in their plans for both the headline match of the second Nitro, but also for the Fall Brawl main event. While this was going on, another party got involved, New Japan. New Japan Pro Wrestling offered Luger a set amount of money for a set amount of dates, something the WWF didn't offer anyone, and at the time WCW weren't offering Luger. But even then, that wasn't enough. WCW got wind of Luger's talks with New Japan. Needing a main eventer for Fall Brawl and a big name for the second Nitro, they saw an opportunity to split the cost of Luger with New Japan. Once the Vader suspension came into force, everything came together. Luger received an offer the Thursday before the first Nitro and agreed within a couple of days. He worked the date in New Brunswick, then got on a flight to Minneapolis. The deal was so secret that many in the WCW locker room first got wind of his arrival when he walked out on Nitro. Brian, Luger arrives. What do you think? I think it's a great get. He is a huge name to WWF. He's a guy that's been one of their main event stars. Uh, like I said earlier, I don't really watch a lot of the television, but I'm aware of Lex Luger through all the video games. I mean, he's the guy that's always uh, has been one of the top guys and one of the guys I actually like playing as in the arcades whenever I go to play the, uh, I think it's a WrestleMania arcade game where he's got the steel bionic elbow that's so cool he's got the red white and blue tights i actually enjoyed that character and to see that he's back in the wcw i'm completely in on this wow that was uh i wasn't quite expecting that i mean uh you know i, I like I, luger well I'm not, I'm not saying i don't i just think that 
uh, as a get, I won't disagree for a second. I think it was a no-brainer remove. Bring him in. It, 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 all, it all fell into place with the Vader thing, as we, as we just heard in the report, as we referenced in the news at the top. But for me, it's still Lex Luger. You know, like, for all of the big pop of having a surprise name coming out and it being a big name, like... As I said on the WWF show in Volume 2, Eric Bischoff is going to wake up at some point in the next few months and think, oh, shit, I've got Lex Luger on my roster. Like, there's going to become a time where you just realise it's still Lex Luger. Like, for all of the for all the positives about being able to shock shock the wrestling world, bring in... You, know, you, you say he's a big name. He hasn't been a big name in WWF in about 18 months. He's been treading water now. He still carries some momentum with him. And, you know, I, I think he's... At this stage in the game, he's absolutely worth more to WCW than he probably ever could have been worth in WWF, whatever they'd have done in the last month or so. But it's still Lex Luger. you still got the guy who is not great in the ring, who they try to run as Hogan and, and, and failed, doesn't have that level of charisma. It, Wayne, it, it's Lex Luger. Like, that's that's it. Yeah, um, he, he definitely served a purpose in giving you the, wow, Lex Luger's just walked out on live TV. He served a purpose in that sense. Um, it's more of a case of, uh, you know, we'll just have to see what, what comes. Like you said, you know, it's probably going to be a case of, um, you know, six months down the line, Eric Bischoff is probably going to turn around and think, I've got this guy on my roster. He's, he's not doing anything. But um, as much as, you know, he didn't have the charisma when, um, and, and, he, and he didn't really do anything when he was turned into the All-American Lex Luger, um, you know, the Lex Express and, and, and everything in, in that sense. And he was pretty much just being a, a Hogan number two and, and being forced down, um, forced down people's throats. And, and he didn't get over because, you know, nothing was organic in, in that character. Um, but just before that, when he was the narcissist, you know, I, I didn't think that was um, that was a bad character at all. You know, he was he he, he was doing every, everything off his own back. He wasn't being being should I say he wasn't um, um, being made by the WWF in a sense of right? Okay, we're going to just force force this guy uh, down people's throats. He was he, he he was brought in. He was the narcissist. He, he was just doing doing things in his own stream. He had he had Heenan and his manager, and and that character wasn't wasn't that bad it was it was a lot better than 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 the all american lex luger that you know was just making people just throw up because at the end of the day it was it was just a, a, a you know a hogan number 2 wasn't it um so it'll be i'm i'm i'm, I'm in between at the moment because it it could go one or two ways uh, you know he 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 could um it could be the 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 Luger that we saw at the end of WWF, um, but then again, he could prove everybody wrong, and you know he could be um, a Luger, Luger worth watching. So, um, jury's out for me because at the end of the day, he's he's, he's going to be doing things off his off his own back here, um, and he's he's not going to be made into the the massive um, hero that he, that he was that absolutely failed um, in WWF. Brian, what's the what's the long term future or even medium term future of Lex Luger? Is it a heel turn in the near future? It seems like that's what they're hinting at. But like I said, I like Luger. I like his look. I love his glorious mullet. I think the guy looks like a million dollars as a total package. And to put him in the main event scene just to have him float around there, I think that's where he'll be end up being here in the next couple of months. 
even if he maybe not deserve it. I mean, you've seen a couple instances of him on the microphone, and it's yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. He is not good on the mic, especially when paired off with Savage. He seems to go on a little rant every now and then, and Savage just likes to keep his stuff short and sweet. So you can see there's an obvious uh, disconnect there, but. I, I think him and the main event floating around there, that's a, definitely a good spot for him for the time being. He's still a main. Yeah, I mean, to 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 take a note out of one of Luger's storylines after WrestleMania in '94, where they had the thing with Tatanka and they were they were talking about, you know, they were, you know, Ted DiBiase was trying to sow the seeds of doubt of whether Luger was, you know, a part of the Million Dollar Corporation, as it turned out, Satanka was. I wonder whether WCW may end up going down there. He's in a program with Savage. They've talked about turning Savage heel for a few with Hogan, which I'm assuming is where they go next after the Giant. Maybe that's where they go. Maybe they spend the time teasing, you know, all right, having Giant chokeslam isn't the best way to start. If they can tease this idea that Luger's part of... Um, part of the Dungeon of Doom, I'm not saying put Savage in the Dungeon of Doom, although it might be a logical thing to do, but in the end turn Savage rather than Luger, that might be a way to go. Um, but yeah, I, I think they've got a, you know, they've got him in a program with Savage. Um, yeah, and you know, as I say, it, it's just long term, I, I don't know whether he's going to stick as a main eventer, and I don't know what the benefit is of having Lex Luger around if he's not. For WCW, I think WWF was a bit different in that they Luger had some star power and he could have been valued for them slightly lower down the card. I don't know whether that's the case with WCW, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Vader was suspended by WCW after getting involved in a fight backstage with Paul Orndorff at a TV taping that happened at the very end of August, just a few days before the start of the debut of WCW Monday Nitro. At the time of recording, Vader is still suspended, having been written off of television, being described as AWOL and essentially being replaced in major storylines by Lex Luger. According to reports, Vader arrived late for the taping and Orndorff, acting as a supervisor as well as a talent, said they needed him in to tape some interviews with Gene Oakland as they were already running behind. The pair began a long exchange of words with Orndorff allegedly calling Vader a fat prima donna. Orndorff then told Vader to make his move. Vader responded by shoving him to the ground. Orndorff quickly got to his feet and hit Vader with what someone called the perfect left, knocking him to the ground. Vader cowered in the fetal position and Orndorff started kicking him while wearing sandals. The fight largely stopped at this point but restarted a short while later in the office at which point the two were separated. Vader was sent home looking in bad shape and Orndorff was left to work his scheduled match with a black eye. Orndorff came out of the situation as somewhat of a hero backstage, taking down the taller and much heavier Vader. Mean Gene Oakland, in one of his most truthful hotlines of the year, is said to have given a pretty accurate account of events and said that Orndorff gained respect from wrestlers. Oakland did call Vader a prima donna and a bully on his hotline too. As for Vader's future, at this stage it's still up in the air. He has a contract worth somewhere in the region of three quarters of a million dollars per year with the company through until 1999. Vader is said to have been very apologetic to everyone involved, but the scenario within WCW is that if they can find a way to get rid of him, they will. On television, Vader was lined up for the spot Lex Luger ended up getting, with the title match on the second Nitro followed by the main event spot at Fall Brawl. Originally, Vader's situation on television was said that he wouldn't be at the pay-per-view because he hadn't signed the necessary paperwork. Later on, a graphic simply said he was AWOL. One departure that did happen this month was Steve Austin. 
Essentially, a combination of injuries combined with the perception that his $200,000 a year contract was disproportionately high for a guy of his status, injured or not, led to the departure. Austin also gained a reputation of not keeping his unhappiness about his spot on the roster quiet, having been grouped in with the likes of Brian Pillman, Johnny B. Bad, Lord Stephen Regal and others who signed bigger contracts a few years ago. A knock-on effect of this was actually felt at the pay-per-view. Brian Pillman and Johnny B. Bad were given 29 minutes in the opener, a setup by those backstage because they believed that those two were part of a group of guys not capable of filling that spot. The joke may have backfired as the pair had the best match on the card. And that will bring to an end this much show. We were going to discuss the Vader thing, um, but yeah, there's, there's not a ton to discuss at the moment, as, as it stands at the moment, as Stuart said. He is currently suspended. Uh, Wayne Lithgow, thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Thanks very much, Bob. Uh, people can find you on Twitter. At WayneL84. And a big thank you to Brian Barrera. Brian, thank you for uh, one hell of a debut on this show. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> awesome. It was a good time. Um, Brian, uh, you are the, um, not the guy really of, uh, of WCWWorldwide.com. Um, talk us through it really. Uh, there, there's so many facets to it. I know you've got a new website that's just launched in the last week or so. Uh, promote it, talk about it, uh, say whatever you like really. Uh, it's basically a one man function, a one man army tackling the whole WCW run. I'm talking about the early, uh, 80, the NWA era, the early WCW stuff all the way through. Uh, I don't want to break the fourth wall here and discuss it, but basically... No, 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 now's now's the time you can do it. It's fine. All right, all right, all right. So everything up to the very end, even beyond, so anything with the WCW and uh, the World Wrestling Entertainment, sometimes little bits from TNA, I've got all the magazines, I'm scanning things in, I'm showcasing a lot of stuff that basically isn't on the internet right now. I mean, I just scanned a uh, full-page poster of the Hulkamaniacs with Vader along with Hogan, Sting, and the Macho Man Randy Savage. So there's a lot of stuff, a lot of history that the WWE just kind of glosses over or just flat out doesn't cover at all. So the whole premise of the website, WCWWorldwide.com, is to just kind of go back and have like a nostalgic look on things that aren't in the forefront anymore, involving you know people that aren't discussed because they're not a Hogan or a Sting. So... You have that, and you can find me on Twitter, at WCW Worldwide. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Tumblr. Just type me into your Google machine, and you can find me pretty easily. WCWWorldwide.com. And, 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 Brian, you own, like, like every WCW magazine, don't you? I mean, that, that was sort of a <sighs> joke when you were talking about those magazines earlier. You've got, like, files full of them. I am uh, six issues away from completing the, the entire WCW magazine run. I think that... Uh, I have a few I'm missing from 96, a few I'm missing from 1995. I've actually gotten a thumbs up from one of the people who ran WCW Magazine back in the day. He apparently came across my site and said that it was a fun trip to revisit the work that he put so much work into. Uh, he was a guy that had run through, I guess, from the beginning up to 1999. So it's pretty interesting to see the type of reaction I'm getting because, you know, people – have stints of fandom within WCW, so they might have all the magazines from 97 to 98, but maybe they fell off, or maybe they had no idea WCW existed before 1997. So it's interesting to see people react to things I put up and say things like, I had no idea this existed. I had no recollection of this event. 
uh, Vader and the Hulkamaniacs. I have no idea what this is, what this is about. Can you explain it to me? And then to go through and basically have like a slight history lesson. Yeah, and also I, I think as well there's that there's always been the thought that when WCW went under, you know, I think when um, when Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Jarrett were putting together NWA TNA, there was always the thought that a lot of wrestling fans just disappeared. It was they didn't all gravitate across the Raw's Raw. It's not like Raw's rating like doubled or anything like that. There, there are a lot of wrestling fans lost to the war, if you like. I don't, that's probably not a, a good way of phrasing it, but a lot of the guys that when WCW ended just stopped watching. And I think your your site, I think for guys who you know are either following WCW through our podcast or just following WCW or you know because they used to as a kid or whatever. Um, there's so many just random things on on your site that 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 aren't going to get mentioned on the WWE network because they're not significant enough or just because they're not anything of any note um so yeah i highly urge you know if you if you listen to our shows and you want to kind of as as, as i say brian's uploading all of these magazines and, and and some of the significant stuff and all of that and you can find him on twitter at wcw worldwide anyway my voice is about to go so we better wrap this up uh you can find me on twitter at bobby bamba you can find the podcast on twitter at wrestling 20 yrs uh we've got a lot for you this month volume two is wwf looking at in your house three uh volume three recording tomorrow night is ec W and Volume Four. It's a uh, a very special show. We're not even wrestling. It's uh, we're, we're looking at a bit of a UFC, a bit of MMA uh, for the UFC Seven show brawl in Buffalo. Uh, keen to hear your thoughts on that specifically, as that's the kind of pilot episode. Really, whether we're going to do any more MMA stuff in future, we will reign to be seen. Um, you can find the website wrestling20rs.com, facebook.com, wrestling20rs. Uh, everything's on there, iTunes, RSS, and all that. Uh, and that's about it. So I've been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 1 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast for September 1995. And until next time, goodbye.